Oddities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, but most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And my last name is an adverb. So, this week we are continuing on with our high-impact joke density series with probably the one movie in this month that doesn't truly fit that format, but we will talk about that as we get to it. We have some things to talk about right at the top, though. And, of course, first and foremost, no, Zach did not get a sex change. He did not hit his nuts. He did. And- <laughs> I mean, I did. I did. I definitely did. That that joke was almost perfect. Heather. <laughs> we have Heather once again. You might remember her from Throwing Mama from the Train, but Ew. she's back to talk about, I think, the only movie this month where we're going to have Danny DeVito again. So look at that. Yay! All right. So uh, then, before we talk about Zach and where he is with some, some restaurant news, we have to earn our ad revenue this week. And we are advertised, sponsored by... The new Immortal Lansberries album. Have you heard about the Immortal Lansberries, Heather, and their new album? Is this a poisonous berry or like an edible berry? <laughs> it's, it's like an Angela Lansberry. Oh, okay. <laughs> so an Immortal Lansberry, if that makes any sense. Oh, so if you eat it, it makes you immortal. Uh, ooh, that's a... I like that. They they might have to uh, use that in some of their music whenever they release no, new stuff. But their newest album, uh, titled Lit, L-I-T, is available on Spotify and all major music streaming services now. I will put the link into the show notes. Our audience has been hearing this for a few weeks, but if you have not yet, or have you heard them and want to hear them again, check that out. Uh, I know Heather has heard some of the Immortal Lansberries, and she hates uh, one of the people in the band. So that's always good, right? <laughs> Are you in the band? Uh, I have no bias whatsoever about this advertisement, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> okay, so you're not the person I hate in the band. Uh, you might hate both of the people then. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, great. So with that being said, we have to talk about where Zach is, and I'm happy to announce that, of course, he's hard at work at the restaurant, but... Maybe work isn't the right way to say it this week, because for the first time, he is, on behalf of both of us and Cinemodities, accepting an award for the restaurant. Yes, we are finally getting our well-deserved recognition. And this award is from the Manhattan Parental Acceptance Association, and it is for the closet that we have in the restaurant where parents can get drunk in isolation while their kids are in the sin emodities portion of the restaurant. This has been a huge hit for us this year. You know, all those kids that couldn't go to school, those parents didn't want anything to do with them. They drop them off in the restaurant, get a bottle of champagne, wine, whatever they want, go sit in a, in a closet by themselves and just get drunk. And this has been a, a huge influx of cash for us. And these parents have love it so much that they decided to give us an award so wait hold up okay hold up when you say these kids are in the sin emodities you mean sin s-i-n right where like the children murder each other and commit all of the deadly sins like they just go through like gluttony and just eat all the fish sticks since they are uh, unsupervised in that portion of the restaurant then i would definitely say like yes we could we could definitely call it the sin as in S-I-N, uh, but at least in the little, like, you know, placard above the, the place where all the kids have to go, 
uh, you know, right above all those metal bars with the barbed wire above them to keep the kids in. It is spelled with a C. But, you know, I, I could see us, you know, maybe graffitiing over that just at some point. So I like the yeah. idea, Heather. <laughs> or we can make T-shirts. Ooh, yes. Uh, but then we wouldn't want to be confused with the uh, the the knockoff restaurant that is uh, infringing on our intellectual property, which is Cinemodities or Signmodities with an S. So we'll have to consult oh, our lawyer okay. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with our top stuff out of the way, this week in our high-impact joke density, where, of course, we are talking about parody movies, spoof movies, um, hopefully some funny movies, we are discussing 1984's Johnny Dangerously. And out of the five that we're doing in this series, I definitely think this is the one that doesn't really fit into the the joke density aspect. I don't think this is as dense with jokes as some of the other movies. Not to say that it doesn't have a lot of jokes. It's pretty dense. It is. It's pretty dense. I was actually convinced um, a lot of the things he was saying was real, which Rob will tell you. I was Googling (laughs) some information and couldn't find anything on it. I I guess that's like they say, you know, that's a a great hallmark of a satire when people don't know if it's fake or not or they think it's real. I guess the same could be said for some comedy like this. Like you you think some of the jokes or you overthink some of the jokes. But uh, in in contrast, I guess, you know, last week we talked about Airplane, which is probably the most dense with jokes movie period in existence. So this is definitely nowhere near an airplane. And and I'll get into that with some of this ideas of comedy that I have for this month. But I guess first and foremost, well, Johnny Dangerously, uh, I think very few people have heard of this. Um, I think it's been forgotten in the, the annals of comedy and movies throughout the years. And it is a parody of gangster movies. So those kind of 1930s, you know, maybe a little, a little earlier, a little later, uh, gangster-style movies about, you know, how someone gets taken into a life of crime and becomes the boss and that type of thing. So I, I guess I have to ask right off the bat, because I, I'm the one with some history on this movie. I've known about this for a long time, and I have some very specific thoughts on it. I'll throw it over to you, Heather. After watching this, after watching this kind of you know, true goofy comedy, even though we did a comedy with Throw Mama from the Train last time you were here. What did you think of Johnny Dangerously? Well, I had to watch it four times. Um, <laughs> I think that's just like the motif with you. Every time you're on here, you're like, I watched this movie multiple times. And well, I, I, know, I love I that. Have ADD. <laughs> I have ADD. I can't sit through like a whole hour and a half, Rob. It's incredibly difficult. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I watched it. Um, I told my mom, about it and she said oh is that the one with johnny depp no mom no it, it it's not <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was pretty good it was pretty funny and then after about the fourth time of watching it it kind of all clicked and for me i realized oh a lot of this is like kind of this feeling of grandu- grandiose around michael keaton mm-hmm. and it turns out it's because he's the one who's telling his story to the kid so it's it made a lot more sense that he that the story was as out there as it was because he's trying to tell it from his perspective. Yes, yes. So that the, the framing device of Johnny Dangerously, played by Michael Keaton, of course, the great Michael Keaton, Beetlejuice himself, uh, is working at a pet shop telling a kid who tried to steal a what a dog or a cat or something a puppy, yes. that uh, about his life of crime. And and so good. No, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I. I have a weird love for this movie, 
as well. I, I've known about this for a long time. I saw this when I was a kid, and sure, there's probably some nostalgia factor uh, for for why I love it so much. But I, I've, I rewatched it for this recording. I think I saw it, you know, uh, about two years ago, and I watched it a bunch in college as well, showing it to people. I have to say, this movie is so goddamn dumb, but I love it still. <laughs> like, the humor in this movie is so stupid at certain points that I kind of laugh at it, and then I and then I think to myself, like, why am I laughing at this? Like, aren't I better than this? And I go, no, I'm just going to take my guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it is oh, so dumb, and and even the the script. I, I will have to talk about the script and the writers because there's so many problems with this movie on like a movie level that I want to talk about. But man, I I still love it. I shouldn't love it, but oh oh, it's it's so much fun. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, Michael Keaton's eyeliner bothered me a little bit. <laughs> it was like day after, like Walk of Shame eyeliner, just the whole movie just like smudged oh yeah oh yeah uh but it was definitely a good movie and there's a lot of hidden humor everywhere like i don't know if you want to get into it right away but in the opening scene in the pet store there's a sign on the wall and it says rabbits guaranteed till maturity and i can just see you having that on your wall in your house rob (laughs) <laughs> i i would take it i think this this podcast knows about my affinity for for road signs and signs of all sorts so yeah i would i would i would like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and just like little things hidden in the background and i'm pretty sure i spotted a dildo oh okay. in the movie so okay. we can we can come back to that but yeah there's just like little hidden gems everywhere Yes, yes. The they they definitely try and pack it in. You know, I, this of course movie being 1984 actually came out on December 21st, 1984. So this was a holiday season play, even though there's nothing really you know Christmassy or holiday about it. But 1984, of course, four years after Airplane and and Zazz have their first movie, where that changes the game for comedy with how much you can cram in. And I definitely think this takes some cues from it. You know, it, it's not as dense as Airplane, like I said earlier. But man, there's there's stuff there and and there's stuff that i'm sure you know you can watch it multiple times you know as many times i've seen it more than the four you've seen it heather and pick up on something new each time and that's what i really respect about this movie and any comedies in general where you know you can always uncover something new about it and i i definitely think that this movie is an example of that and even though i think there's no clever jokes in it at all (laughs) really you don't think there's any clever ones i mean maybe uh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Like I don't I don't know if any of this I would consider clever. Like it's all just I, I like I said before I'm half laughing at the joke and half laughing at myself in like some weird self pitying type of chuckle. <laughs> okay, well you also know that I voluntarily watched House Bunny a few weeks ago, so maybe my sense of humor is just a little more surface level than yours. <laughs> I am so glad that you brought that up because <laughs> you were about to talk shit about me. <laughs> Because well well I was I'm I'm going to talk okay, shit great. about the house bunny because <laughs> this this was my note I'm going to read it verbatim for what I wrote down because of course as you know now in this this uh, new age of cinemodities in our in our third year we're having all this rotating cast of characters and I love to get their opinions on things and so this is exactly what I wrote okay so for you Heather this is this is what I was going to ask you are you into comedies is there a certain type of comedy you gravitate towards. Why do you like hot garbage like the house bunny? 
That was, that was exactly what I wrote in my notes, and I'm glad you brought it up. So that that's my question for you, Heather. Clearly, I know you like comedies. We're, we, we've had, you know, f- giggle festivals between each other before for stupid comedies, other like comedies. Like Exactly. And, yeah. And, but I think where we diverge is the nonsense like The House Bunny, because that movie is hot garbage. So, so maybe give us, me and our audience, a little insight into what comedies you enjoy. Or, or maybe, if, if you just like comedy in general, you can talk a little bit about The House Bunny. We're never going to talk about that on this podcast. So, so get it in now if you need to. Now's my chance. Well, I really think the estrogen has something to do with my sense of comedy. Um, I just really love like the dumb stuff. Also... I just really respect Anna Ferris in that movie because she's trying to sexualize herself, yet she's so dumb. It's hilarious. And also you had to work really, really hard for that body she has in that movie. So respect to Anna Ferris. Um, also seeing Emma Stone being like the nerd is kind of nice. Like it's like a throwback and it uh, kind of reminds me of high school a little bit. And uh, there's just a lot of actors in that that now that I'm older – you know, I can kind of come back and like a like Cat Denning. Oh yeah, is in House Bunny, and I've watched some of her newer stuff recently, and I have like a new love for her. So going back and seeing that is very heartwarming. But also just all the dumb lines. You know, I also like Mean Girls, so usually I like things that I can quote. Sure, I'm, I I was uh, when you you know were talking about uh, the estrogen, as you put it. You know, I was definitely trying to think of other things, like because I, I I don't think you know uh, me, you know, not having est- or not having as much estrogen as you. I don't know enough about my body chemistry to know if I don't have <laughs> any estrogen. But, you do. You, you know, do. like like uh, I even though House Bunny is hot garbage, you know, I I like a good Legally Blonde. I love Mean Girls. I'm glad you reminded me of that one. You know, that's a that's a fantastic movie. But I I, I don't know. There was something about House Bunny that I was like, this is just like I said before, hot garbage. But it might have just been me. I know that movie made money, and you're absolutely right. Like it had some great star power behind it. You know, like you said, Emma Stone, Cat Dennings, and then like Catherine McPhee and Rumor Willis are in it. And it's it's just it did well, I guess. So I did want to ask you, since you rewatched it, is there a scene in that movie where like Emma Stone goes on a a date and she dresses all slutty as at, at like the uh, the advice of Anna Faris, or am I thinking of something else? Um, yes, she does that, and then also Anna Faris dresses up as a nerd, oh, and then okay. she actually wears Emma Stone's glasses, and she has like note cards. And so she's really trying to show off to this guy that, you know, she's talking about, like, oh, yeah, the war in Afghanistan. But she <laughs> just brings it up but doesn't actually say anything about it. Sounds like you really read the paper. Oh, all the time. I'm just nuts about the paper. So, uh, have you given any thought to who you might be voting for? I'm not sure yet. I... Definitely won't listen to what Simon says. He is just so mean. I usually always agree with Paula and Randy. Oh. Oh, you meant the president of the United States. The United States of America. USA, for short. 50 states, if you include Hawaii. Most people do. I'm definitely pro-Hawaii. But yeah, then there's a part where... There's actually a part where Emma Stone's a virgin. I guess she's a virgin throughout the whole movie uh but they actually have like a mayan like sacrificing party for her 
and she's dressed in like you know like a bikini basically and then she goes down like this slide into a pool of jello so maybe that's the sluttiest emma stone is <laughs> but yeah this sounds like a nightmare <laughs> but anna ferris is just trying to you know convince her to there's a part where she's washing the car and then she like makes her pants wet instead of like her t-shirt okay okay <laughs> <laughs> so the uh the the Rotten Tomatoes critical consensus for the House Bunny is is probably exactly how I feel about this. It says, quote, Anna Ferris is game, but she can't salvage salvage this middling formulaic comedy, end quote. Middling formulaic comedy is exactly how I thought of it as. I didn't think there was anything new in that movie. No, nothing new. But I'm glad you like it, Heather. I'm glad somebody likes it. It was a good, <laughs> you know, like, uh covid depressed pick me up kind of chick flick to watch alone did you rewatch uh mean girls at any time any reason i don't really need to rewatch it because i kind of have the okay. whole movie memorized what, what do i do if i have a wide set vagina and a heavy flow <laughs> exactly <laughs> so who is a lady problem that they like to talk about yes Somebody wrote in that book that I'm lying about being a virgin because I use super jumbo tampons, but I can't help it if I've got a heavy flow and a wide set vagina. Yeah, I can't do this. <laughs> the limit does not exist. Okay, okay. Mean Girls might come up on here one day, um, and I'll let you know if that okay, ever happens. Okay, put, put me down for that. If you put anybody else down, <laughs> if... I'm murdering you in your sleep. <laughs> I'll add that to the list of things you've told me why. You will murder me in my sleep, Heather. <laughs> I know. There's a long list. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah. So, so we have some, you know, diverging thoughts on comedy overall, but, but we definitely appreciate it for sure. And uh, like we said, glad we like uh, Johnny Dangerously. So speaking of comedy and Johnny Dangerously, this is the second movie from director Amy Heckerling, which is mind-blowing to me. Because even though I think a lot of people might not know the name Amy Heckerling, they definitely know kind of what she's done culturally and, and you know, what she's done for comedy. And so, like I said, this is her second movie, Johnny Dangerously. Her first movie is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is still to this day probably one of the most culturally significant films just in existence. If anybody does not know that movie, everybody has seen the scene or they've seen the reference of when Phoebe Cates gets out of the pool in her uh, red bikini and takes her top off and works, walks toward the camera. So she started with that comedy, goes to Johnny Dangerously. Uh, Johnny Dangerously does not do too well, uh, I think not surprisingly, as I will uh, share some of my thoughts on. But it makes $17 million against a $9 million budget. So if anything, it might have made a little money if it didn't you know, lose any. It, it gets poor reviews when it comes out. And Amy Heckerling is like, man, I, I didn't like that this got bad reviews, so I need to only work on things that I write. Because, of course, she didn't write Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That was written by Cameron Crowe. Uh, Johnny Dangerously is written by four separate people, which we'll have to get into its own uh, topic of discussion. Makes sense. Very much so does that make sense. Uh, while Johnny Dangerously is getting bad reviews, I think she's either near or near finishing or in post-production for National Lampoon's European Vacation. Uh, she doesn't write that. But once kind of all this blows over, she says, I'm only going to direct things that I, I write. And the first thing that she does this for is 1989's Look Who's Talking. 
So have you ever heard of the movie Look Who's Talking where, like, Kirstie Alley has the baby and then, like, the baby narrates the movie and it's voiced by Bruce Willis and, like, John Travolta's in it? Does this ring any bells Wait, for you, Wait, there's Heaven? a baby that has Bruce Willis's voice? Yes. I feel like he's one of the worst people to have a baby voice. <laughs> well, well, you might think this sounds weird, but this movie was a fucking massive hit. Like, I think that people are amazed when they hear this or learn this, and I'm still amazed every time I think about it. So this movie, Look Who's Talking, from 1989, which, like you like you just said, it sounds crazy because there's a baby, and the baby's voiced by Bruce Willis. It has an $8 million budget, and it makes almost $300 million at the box Holy office. Holy shit! Okay, yeah, that's a good movie. This blew up 1989, and I didn't look up where it ranked in the year. I think we might have done 1989, some other episode of Cinemodities, but this movie blew people away. And so she wrote and directed that. She writes and directs the sequel, which doesn't make as much money, but still makes bank. And she gets kind of solidified as this great comedy director. Now, I have to say, I, I saw Look Who's Talking once when I was younger, I think I was, like, too young to fully understand it, because when I was reading about it again for this recording, apparently, like, the the baby is born because of her, Kirstie Alley, having an affair with her boss, who's a married man, and then she, like, meets John Travolta, who's a cab driver, and they fall in love, and and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I don't think I understood the concept of cheating. Like, that's how young I was when I saw this movie. <laughs> it's okay, movie. I kind of feel the same way when I rewatch Austin Powers, and I'm like, oh, my, <laughs> yeah. my parents let me watch this. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you bring that up because that always makes me think of like when I watched Austin Powers again like I saw it when I was young and then when I rewatched it in like college and it had been years since I saw it I was blown away by the fact that when I was younger when he's like I lost my mojo and I was just like his mojo's gone I had no idea what it meant <laughs> like it took me I got to see it older to be like oh his mojo I get it now I understand <laughs> exactly yeah that's yeah <laughs> So so Amy Heckerling does Look Who's Talking Look Look Who's Talking 2 is the sequel and the 2 is T O O so and it's when they have another baby and it's a girl baby voiced by Roseanne Barr and I've never Wait, seen that Roseanne one Roseanne no Barr from like it. the show Roseanne like yes. the one who so, made so racist comments and nobody likes her anymore yes. okay so there's two babies in Look Who's Talking 2, one of them is voiced by Bruce Willis, one of them is voiced by Roseanne Barr. And these movies d- destroyed the world. People loved them so much back in the oh, day, gosh. Heather. It's crazy. <laughs> so that reminds me, I actually stumbled upon a new series on Hulu today about a mosquito who bites a man and falls in love with him, and it's narrated by the mosquito. So... <laughs> a baby talking Heather, is not the weirdest. What is the nonsense that you watch <laughs> on these streaming services? I don't know, man. They're just there. They just suggest it to me, and I just go through the line of everything they suggest. <laughs> is it thirsty? Yes, is that what it's that's called? What it's called. Oh my god! I just I Google mosquito Hulu, and the second thing that comes up is the thirsty Hulu review. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of review does this, it get? Uh, it's from the Observer, so it's like a a pretty long article. There's no okay, like no stars or any uh no stars or anything like that. But oh, apparently it's a short film. I don't know if you said that. I thought you said it was a series. Oh, I thought it was a series. short film. I was wondering why I only saw one episode of it. 
That's that's great, Heather. I was wondering why there's only one episode. <laughs> oh man. Oh no, you're okay. You're you're right. I I can understand a little more. This says it's 12 minutes long, so that definitely seems like a one like it's the first episode or something. Oh, okay. Okay, in- interesting. Oh, this sounds ridiculous. Yeah, you are af- you are absolutely correct. Thirsty is the story of a mosquito voiced by the incom- incomparable Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph's great. Who falls in love with a man, insecures Jay Ellis, after she tastes his blood and pushes the bounds of infatuation and obsession. Wow. That's that's something right there, Heather. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> a really great way to spend 12 minutes of my life. <laughs> 12 minutes isn't bad. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, for that premise also, if that was like a 90-minute thing, I'd be like, oh my god, this this is going to be terrible. But anyway, so after after Look Who's Talking and Look Who's Talking To, Amy Heckerling takes a break for five years after, of course, the success of those films. I know she does some produce, uh, has some produ- production credits, but then in 1995, she directs one of another one of my guilty pleasures, a movie that I love that people don't expect me to love, Clueless. With yes. uh, Alicia Silverstone and Stacey Dash. That's a great movie. Paul Rudd as well, looking the same as he does in 2020, uh, even though it was 1995. And that's a, another huge movie. That's a well-known movie. But then as you know, she goes into the, the 2000s, she kind of falls off. She directs some unknown things. A movie called Loser with Jason Biggs that I've never heard of. Uh, another movie in then 2007. But of course Jason Biggs would be... In that movie, loser. Yeah, of oh yeah, it's Jason Biggs. <laughs> that was uh, that's just on his um like his his uh his resume of his acting portfolio where he's like Jason Biggs and his headshot and he's like what roles has he played? Loser. <laughs> exactly. One time I stuck my dick in a pie. Mm, oh yeah, what he will always be remembered exactly. for. In 2007, she directs something else I've never heard of. I could never be your woman. And when I was looking into this, the, the, the like little summary on IMDb is a mother falls for a younger man while her daughter falls in love for the first time. Mother nature messes with their fates. And I was like, I don't want to know anything else about this. This sounds terrible. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Does the mom end up impregnating her daughter? I Dad, you threw me for a loop with that one, Heather. I didn't know you were going to say that. But we could only hope. I don't think I ever want to see this movie, but my headcanon will now be that's the ending of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, dives into, it dives into a woman impregnating another woman in an incestual relationship. Definitely. That's probably why I didn't do so well. And then she directs in 2012 her last film is Vamps. Which apparently, another thing I have never heard of, and it's a comedy horror romance where Kristen Ritter uh, plays like a vampire in modern day New York City. But she's just, she's a vampire in New York City, but she's just trying to find love. Oh, it's just, it's, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what happened to Amy Heckerling, especially after things like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Johnny Dangerously, Look Who's Talking, you know, these these comedies that whether or not they did well, Johnny Dangerously is the one that didn't do well. It, it still kind of sticks with people, or sticks with me at least. And so this was an interesting thought I wanted to, to pitch to you, Heather. I didn't think about this too much, and this could be a whole discussion for another time, but this is another director that, you know, hit it huge in the 80s and 90s, and then they kind of fall off with the uh, 21st century. And last month, we talked about another director just like this, Danny DeVito himself. He hits it huge when he starts off in the late 80s, 
And in the, you know, not as big financial successes with, like, Matilda in the 90s, but still it gets major acclaim. And then he falls off in the mid, in the early 2000s. It's like there was some huge cultural change um, in the early 2000s, 9-11 possibly, that these directors didn't know how to keep up with the times. I thought that was a very interesting idea. I, I didn't think of anyone else who falls in this category, um, but, but I'm sure there's a, a whole bunch that we could probably research and list. But it's kind of like once the year 2000 came around, these comedy directors just didn't know how to handle themselves or they couldn't keep up with the time. I also feel like it's kind of the difference between, oh, your high school or college sweetheart, he has such a great sense of humor. And then all of a sudden you have kids and then the only thing that comes out of their mouth are like bad dad jokes. (laughs) Memes. Yeah, just like (laughs) memes, but like they're so like dad like that he doesn't even know what a meme is sure sure absolutely okay we last week for the airplane discussion there was a lot of talk about memes and uh, i'm sure that will come up again because uh, once once we start talking about the comedy in this movie i i definitely have some issues with you know comedy today but before we can get there um amy heckerling of course she's been directing a lot of tv it's not like she just doesn't work anymore um but i, I found that interesting that comparison between amy heckerling and danny devito uh, the other thing I wanted to mention uh, before we get to the writers and that whole that whole debacle, I would say, uh, is that this movie is produr- <laughs> produced by Michael Hertzberg, who is best known for being a longtime producer for Mel Brooks movies. And we're going to be doing a Mel Brooks movie next week, but I'm pretty sure I've seen all of Mel Brooks movies, and I can definitely see Michael Hertzberg's production fingerprints on this film, definitely in some of the, the construction of the jokes, and definitely, like, what the movie looks like. Like, there's that joke in Johnny Dangerously where um, uh, Johnny and Lil are, like, walking around the city after the club and they're, like, taught after the night out in the club. And she thinks she's in Chicago. So then I decided to leave Pittsburgh and come here to Chicago. Uh, Lil? Yeah? This ain't Chicago. We're in New York. You're kidding. Well, New York, Chicago, to a girl on her own, it's all the same. Yeah, that that joke is so stupid, but I love it. That is one of my favorite jokes in the movie. I also feel like, like Lil, as an actress, played that off very well. Like, she didn't look too, like, oh, yeah. dumb about it. She was like, oh, well, whatever. Like, <laughs> yes. yes, the delivery is perfect because she's like, so I packed up and moved to Chicago. And he's like, well, this this is New York. And she's like... Oh, well, anyway, and then I found my job as a club dancer, and I was just like, oh, my God. But, like, when they they keep talking, and then they keep walking, and, like, they get out of the city, and then they end up in, like, this big field out of nowhere when, like, the sun is rising or something, like, that's a a very Mel Brooks-looking joke, and so that one stood out to me with a few others. Yes, and I meant to ask you about that. For for you being from New York City, have you ever seen a field like that? (laughs) You definitely have to – well, like that, no. Like, definitely not. Like, they have to be walking a long time, probably to the east, to get to, like, Connecticut to find a field like that. That um, island. Even if you, go up, if you go upstate, you're not getting any field like that, you know? You're getting cows and, and just the, the, the different type of New Yorkers that are, like, the get-off-my-land New Yorkers. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, last time I was in Staten Island, Justin pointed out, um, I guess what used to be the old dump is now just a hill that kind of looks like that, so... Oh, okay. Maybe it was okay. the old dump that they showed up at. 
I, I, I don't know. Uh, with this movie coming out in 1984, maybe it was like it, there was the, the original dump that got turned into a hill and then turned into a dump again for when Justin was living there and then turned back into a hill. We may never know. Yeah, just a Mount Trash <laughs> right now. So, so you said it before, and I, I completely agree with you. When, when I said to you that this movie has four credited writers, you said that makes sense. And oh my God, I could not agree more because this movie... It has so many problems with the with the plot, and of course it's a comedy, and comedies usually aren't relying on some, you know, tight narrative structure. It's relying more on the jokes, but this movie definitely tries to have a narrative, tries to have some story, and there's so many issues with it. And at the same time, if you look at the jokes, I, I definitely got the sense that these four writers, they weren't working on this movie together. They were just passing the script to each other and filling in their own independent jokes. Because none of them really kind of gel together, and then some of them come out of nowhere. Like, there's no real joke that fits in the motif of the uh, uh, the same motif as the the vendor, the newspaper vendor who keeps getting hit on the head and like that it, was it dumb. Makes that him was dumb. blind, and then it, it makes him deaf, and then he gets amnesia. Like, there's no other joke in the movie that like fits with that like disability type humor. I guess I would call it, and it's just like. What were these writers doing? And I'm glad you think it makes sense because this movie is all over the place. It's so dumb in its jokes, but it has so many problems. Like, there's a major, like, maybe the first act kind of subplot is that Johnny's brother, played by Griffin Dunn, he's great, wants to leave law school so he can get married. And I'm like, why does he need to leave law school to get married? Exactly. Is it because of money? Because Johnny's going to pay for John Johnny would pay for his wedding, wouldn't he? And then I'm like, wait, isn't Johnny paying for his law school? And he is. And so I'm like, what the hell is this like being driven well, by? Well, because if you're having sex all day and taking care of your wife, then you don't have time to go to school. <laughs> I I guess. I mean, I've known people who are married. We've known people who are married that go to school, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I know people who actually aren't married who have more sex than married people and still go to school. <laughs> but I'm <laughs> so so yeah I, I think you know when we talk about some of the jokes um we'll we'll get more into that writing but there's so many issues with this movie I think like the the brother like why why does he why can't he go to law school and get married that makes no sense um the fact that the movie sets up just immensely like you can't misconstrue that the movie is telling you as a viewer that the villain of the movie is Maroney, the guy who can't pronounce anything correctly. And then Maroney just disappears halfway through the movie, and then someone else is the villain. It's like, what, what the hell is going on? And there's so much kind of disjointedness that it, it kind of infuriates me when I'm watching it, because I just want, I just want you know, it to just be jokes. I don't want to have problems with this story. Like, the, the whole movie turns into they're going to kill his brother because they find out people in his own gang find out that Johnny is related to the DA. And I'm like, why? I'm like, this is barely set up earlier. And it infuriates yeah, me. Also, what's his face is always like, don't put me on a hook. My father put me on a hook once that guy, <laughs> yes. that guy. And they were like, you know, childhood foes. And it's like, doesn't he know that Johnny's last name is Kelly? 
Exactly. Like they, it shows them fighting when they're on the same corner throwing newspapers at the beginning. And even the little kid, that guy, the, the true antagonist of the movie, as it turns out, Danny Vermin, played by Joe Piscopo, he's like, at the beginning of the movie when he's a kid, he's like, you haven't seen the last of Danny Vermin. And it's like, okay, I guess they just lost their memories when they hit a certain age or something like that. I, I do have to say, though, Heather, that might be... My favorite joke from the film is him saying, you know, You shouldn't hang me on a hook. My father hung me on a hook once. Once. You shouldn't shove me. My mother shoved me once. Once. And it just keeps going, and then towards the end he's like, My sister did that once. And then before he can even say once again, it like cuts him out. (laughs) It's like, okay, we're tired of hearing this. Yes. Um, So I think I actually just pinpointed another disability joke. Oh, okay, okay. Um, When Joe Piscopo is fighting Johnny for the street corner for the newspaper and he cuts the seeing eye dog's leash. And then the blind man, which by the way, he was not using his um, vision stick. Cane? What are those things called? Cane? The vis- no, the yeah, the cane. Yeah, yeah, the vision <laughs> the, stick. The vision. I'm pretty sure a vision stick is something that like <laughs> shamans in like Aborigine Australia use when they're drinking ayahuasca or something. Exactly. Well, anyways, his vision stick was not being used properly. <laughs> vision stick. Yes. Yeah. He cuts the the uh, the the uh, leash of the of the seeing eye dog, like you said, and the guy like walks into traffic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That. See, that's but more also of... the vision stick has a marble at the end that you roll on the ground. Okay. And his vision stick wasn't even touching the ground. Oh, oh, that's that zero out of ten stars. This movie's unwatchable. <laughs> I know, unwatchable. They misused their vision stick. No, that's a, yeah. I forgot about that one because that that whole like opening scene with the newspapers is is just to get you know Johnny in the fight so uh, Peter Boyle. The, uh, the the head of the, the gang can, like, see him and be like, hey, I like the way that kid handles itself. And he's like, let's let's call him over to my car. And I'm like, this didn't age well. You know, this is like, what, 1920-something at that point in the movie. It was 1910 at and, that point. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like oh, I don't know. I don't know if that, you know, we have kids going over to cars back in the day. <laughs> that was Well, it's okay. Know. That was before the invention of the white van. Oh, okay. So since it was, like, the uh, the original Ford cars, it was all it was all fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was all fine. Like, there were no windows. You could escape easily. Yes, yes. <laughs> the kid, if he felt was in danger, could just, you know, roll out of the car. <laughs> exactly. Also, then the bumper sticker on the back of the car, it said, I'd rather be stealing. Yes, yes. Another... Which is kind of funny because, you know, like, I don't know, the whole joke about it, I'd rather be fishing or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And. Yeah, it's 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 just setting up the the whole stage of like you said earlier like there's going to be so much stuff in the background like these little signs and whatnot and it, uh, this movie's definitely set up well it just kind of falls apart when you know the there's no real you know cohesive structure and and I guess something else I did want to bring up is even though I love this movie I think something I, I mentioned last week with Airplane and I'm going to be talking about you know for all of these comedies that we do I definitely get some comedy fatigue with like just straight comedies like you know even this movie like when i was watching it it's only like an hour and 29 minutes long and so it's not you know daunting in any sense of the word but i get to like you know 50 minutes an hour in and i'm like okay i'm like come on let's let's just do something yeah i fell asleep twice hence why i had to watch it four times 
<laughs> and and so I definitely have just I think this something I'm you just comedy fatigue happens to me is that when there's movies that are just driven by jokes and there's not like you know a a true narr- narrative to it a true plot that I just kind of get like okay you know I need something more and and you know something that I think um we both have experience with of course that I it's it's not as long, but you know I never feel comedy fatigue during the thumb movies because there's a story there. Even though they're parodying something, you know the story. It keeps you going. Other comedy movies like um you know like Mike, which has a lot of that comedic element. It's like there's a true story here that you can care about, so it keeps you interested. Where here it's just like okay now Johnny's in jail and they're gonna kill his brother and then okay they're gonna have to stop from killing his brother and it's like. I just want something to happen more than more dumb jokes, you know? Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, And then some of the jokes didn't age well. Oh, yes. So I guess we talked about that a lot in Airplane, and we have to do it here as well. Which examples do you have of jokes that didn't age well? (laughs) Joe Piscopo, when he's like, it's an 88, it shoots through schools. (laughs) And you're like, oh, shit, this is clearly before Columbine. (laughs) That that was exactly the one I had written down. My my note uh, verbatim is I wrote the quote eighty eight Magnum. It shoots through schools, and then my comment: Boy, that joke did not age well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Another one was uh, when the mom called Tommy a fag choir boy. Yep. Oh yeah, that that stood out to me. Where he's like, "Ma, it's prohibition. I'll quit your crying like a fag choir boy." And I'm like, "I guess you know they they could get away with that back in the '80s. That was okay. You can't get away with that now. No, you can't. <laughs> nope. No. Oh, oh, speaking of something else, I wanted to mention. Um, speaking of what they they could get away with in the the '80s. So, like we said, this came out in '84. Um, this was actually one of the first movies in history. Not the first. But one of the first to ever get a PG-13 rating because, very interestingly, PG-13 ratings in America did not exist until July 1st of 1984. So they were six months too late. So, so I mean, if this movie had come out earlier, it probably would have gotten a PG rating. Okay. Because before, before July 1st, 1984, there was only PG and R. When did Showgirls come out? It was 95? Yeah, 95. Okay, and so, okay, never mind. Yeah. And so that okay. one got the uh, the NC-17 for sure. Yes. Um, the first PG-13 movie ever was the Patrick Swayze film Red Dawn, which came out on August 10th, 1984. You know, the history of PG-13 is very interesting. It's because it came about because um, the second Indiana Jones movie and the, the Temple of Doom, you know, that got a PG rating. And if you look back at that movie, you know, that's the one where they're like eating brains, where the dude like rips out somebody's heart while it's still beating. Yeah, kids got PG. PTSD, huh? Yeah, and so, you know, but back then, when that movie came out, there was only PG and R, and if they gave it an R, if they gave a Spielberg movie an R, you know, that would have hurt it financially, and you can't have that, because, you know, money's the bottom line. But yes, this is a PG, one of the first PG-13 movies ever, and I think it it fits well uh, into that. I I think, you know, maybe the MPAA was still trying to figure out what a PG-13 really meant, but, you know, I think there's some violence in here, some some punching, some explosions. Also, without subtitles, it's very, like, you think that the Maroni is just cursing the whole time. <laughs> Honestly, I thought he was cursing until I saw the, like, newspaper titles, and he was, yeah. And then yes. I realized, oh, he's calling him a pain in the ice. Yes, you fargan ice holes, you cork soakers, you summon them botches. Yes, exactly. But without subtitles, it was uh, very... Sure, like, oh, sure. you said the word fuck 
three times. That's that's an R. In a heavy accent. Yeah, that Maroney, like not pronouncing words correctly, killed me when I was younger. Like that's why I fell in love fell in love with this movie when I was younger. Because when he was like Fargan Bastage, I was just like, I don't know what, but that made me laugh so so hard when I was little. <laughs> but it's just so dumb. <laughs> Before we begin the questions, my client would like to read from a prepared statement. Go ahead. I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers, you have violated my Fargan rights. This Samanambaching country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of Fargan ice holes like yourselves. Yes. But yeah, so Maroney disappears. They, they have to do the whole brother thing. I, the the narrative, narrative of the story, it, it infuriates me, like I said, Heather. The, the, some of the jokes don't stand up. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the, the other thing on, on that topic I want to say is I don't think there's too many that don't stand up. No, I mean, those, those were the two that I pinpointed yeah because even even some of the other ones like um you know one of my the one of the lines that really stood out to me on this viewing was um in the beginning of the movie when johnny goes to see his uh his ma for her birthday and he gives her an ashtray she goes oh johnny an ashtray i've been thinking about taking up smoking this cinches it happy birthday mom oh bless the saints it's an ashtray i've been thinking of taking up smoking this clinches it and i'm like that's a very funny line because it's like, you know, of course, she's thinking about smoking and smoking's bad these days. But back in the 80s, it was great. But then the movie just does a complete 180 because... And then they have, like, the anti-smoking PSA. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. Michael Keaton just looks at the directly at the camera and he gives everybody, like, a, an anti-smoking PSA, like you said. And he's like, if you want to put something in your mouth, make it a stick of chewing gum. And he's like, that's what Johnny does. And I'm like... What the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, like, it's the only time he acknowledges that there's an audience. Yes, and and that goes back to, I think, the writing thing. Well, one, there's a, there's a joke from the mother in the beginning of the movie about, like, taking up smoking. And then there's this fourth wall-breaking joke of, you know, anti-smoking. Definitely seems like the writers weren't on the same page about that. And in the fact that that is the one time he breaks the fourth wall. You know, that doesn't, I don't think that happens anywhere else, except the end of the movie where he gets into the car after he finishes the story, and he's like, well, it, crime paid for me, or something like that. And I'm just like, could nobody be on the same page for two minutes? <laughs> exactly. Oh, 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 yeah. So uh, I think that's that's good. We There was more issues with Airplane last week of stuff that didn't really hold up in today's standards. I don't think this one has has as much, which is good. But still, this movie is pretty much forgotten compared to something like Airplane. You know, Airplane is still considered, like, the crown jewel of comedy as far as, you know, the critics are concerned. But I, I think there's a huge difference between Airplane and this movie in something we talked about last week, the rapid-fire approach of the of Zazz. So Zazz, just so you know, Heather, even though I think when you come back later in this month, we'll, we will do a Zazz movie. Um, it's Zucker, Abrahams, and Zucker. And their whole idea is that, you know, if you can fit a joke in, do it. Like, Every conceivable moment in Airplane is a joke. And whether it's a sight gag, whether it's dialogue, whether it's, you know, a reaction from somebody, it is 99% of that 90 minutes is jokes. And this movie 
is, like we said, dense with jokes, but it is not as rapid fire as something like Airplane. And I think that that's why this movie gets forgotten, because think about it this way. You know, if you have a movie that is just rapid fire jokes, just by sheer numbers, some of them are going to land for you. And the jokes that don't land, even if they might not make you laugh or you think like, oh, that wasn't too good, it's wrapped around, you know, six other jokes in the span of 30 seconds that might land. And so when something doesn't land for you, you go, oh, you know, like you, you think about it, but you almost forget it immediately because there's so much going on. I think with this movie, it puts a lot more focus on certain jokes so if something doesn't land, you have more time to stew in it, and that makes you think like, oh, that didn't really work for me, and you might have more negative thoughts about the movie. Where last week we talked about with the rapid fire, if you know something doesn't land or multiple jokes don't land, there's still enough to keep you going for the whole time. D- did you kind of f- feel that way with some of the, you know, the focus on these jokes or some of the jokes in this movie? Yes, and then I also felt that there were a lot of hidden jokes that we're kind of acknowledging that they didn't actually film the movie in the 30s. Like, they didn't really take into consideration Prohibition. Like, they made one comment about, oh, yes. but liquor's illegal. And so I guess he's, like, you know, him being the future DA, he's acknowledging that, oh, it's before 1933, and, you know, it's Prohibition. Uh, but also Johnny owns a club during Prohibition, which is... Interesting. And then mm-hmm. they also have things like blood samples and fingerprints. It's like, did you really have that in the 1930s? And then um, another thing, too, Johnny says, like, oh, well, what other gang in New York has a dental plan? Yeah. It's like, was there really such thing as health insurance back then? <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's a good point that there's, uh, you know, a lot of anachronisms in this movie that – I I think that, you know, that's always tough to pull off, I think, for any humor is that, you know, when you have something, some comedy, and then they're they're using that, you know, out-of-time type of humor, it's tough for, I think, major audiences to get. Maybe not major, but, like, those jokes I don't think usually land with everybody. Like, you really have to be thinking about it and paying attention to gather those things. Like, the the dental plan one, I I wasn't even thinking about that, where it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, they... They probably, you know, barely had dentistry because, what, the the doctor for the mother is even saying, like, you know, they're doing thyroid searches and things like that still. <laughs> yeah, or, like, the whole, oh, it's her pancreas again, and she's talking about her pancreas hurting, and it's like, your pancreas itself doesn't actually hurt, but it can cause, like, abdominal pain, <laughs> especially, like, when eating and drinking, but... Like, there's just kind of a lot of holes in it. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I kind of liked, but... Or, like, the McCoy Act, for example. Um, I was searching all over the internet to figure out if the McCoy Act was real. Yeah, I don't I don't think it is. We, we would need to contact a, a real lawyer for, like, the truth. I'm sure there's some, like, cases... When I did a little Googling, when you mentioned this to me, Heather, I definitely, like, found some cases with the name McCoy, but I'm, I don't think there was anything about... What the uh, the immigration right was what they reference in the movie? Yeah, the immigration and how all the immigrants lived in like a two block radius or like a two block section of New York, and how all the immigrants had to go outside for at least what was it like four hours a day <laughs> wearing hats, something like and- that. Immigrants poured into the country from all over the world, looking for a better life for their children, and over ninety seven percent of them settled in a two block area of New York City. There used to be a law called the McCoy Act of 1909. It said immigrants who wanted citizenship had to stay out of their apartments at least four hours a day and walk around in the streets with hats on. 
Yeah, exactly. So that was just kind of ridiculous. Um, and then, too, in that opening scene, they kind of patch in about, you know, it's his mom's birthday. And she's like, oh, this is the coldest July on that I've ever been around. And it's yes. snowing. And what and she, she says, says oh, she's I'm like 29. 29. Yeah. Oh, I hope I make it to 30. And it's like, OK, I get you had to use the same actor <laughs> for like a 15 year time span difference. But really? And then also um, like the buzzer. That he put on the dog's tail when the guy tried to steal the puppy? Yes, the anti-theft device, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that didn't come around until... Whenever malls came around, yeah. And then they made a reference to microwaves, too. Which, (laughs) I don't exactly know when microwaves were invented. Can you Google this while I finish this thought? It's definitely after World War II, but I will look that up. Well, yes, okay. while you finish it, yes. Exactly. <laughs> it's so Danny DeVito's like, oh, if you, you know, you get in with us, you can win this microwave. It can cook a turkey in just under a day. It's like he's trying to advertise. And I don't know if you were aware of this, but a few years ago on Thanksgiving, there was this whole, like, internet joke going around where parents would text message their children and say oh don't forget to wrap your turkey in aluminum foil before you put it in the microwave it makes it cook faster oh god and it was like this whole like internet thing and these parents were trying to convince their kids to put a foil covered turkey into the microwave so that's just kind of what it reminded me of about the whole microwave joke about oh you can cook a turkey in just under a day oh my god that that's that's no good that's that's no good uh (laughs) I feel like that's one of those jokes that aged. That one aged. Yeah. And it, it makes me think, I, I see that people are like, you know, oh, you can put your phone in the microwave. It'll charge faster. And it's like, this is, people are stupid. That's that's what we're learning from this. Um, yes. So the first, the first technical microwave was sold in 1946. And it was not called a microwave. It was called a Raider Range because it was de- uh, developed from World War II radar technology. Hmm. Look at that. Interesting. Yeah, so there's just a lot of holes in the plot as oh, far yeah. as timely timeliness goes. Even the costumes and stuff as well. Like they're dressed in more um, like 20 style, even mm-hmm. though it's the 30s, and it's also a lot more racy what they're wearing than what they wore back in the day. And yeah, there's just a lot of holes in the whole timeline. Oh yeah, I, I think one of the one of the biggest holes in this movie is of course uh, when when for some reason. Uh, Johnny is able to call a meeting for like the entire block to tell everybody that he can't be known as Johnny dangerously to his mother. And the Pope is there. <laughs> yes. Because I don't think the Pope would just be in some like random part of New York City. The lower east side of New York, <laughs> yeah. just hanging out on the street. Speaking speaking English. Exactly. In his Dom DeLuise. It's, it's just, he's, he's playing the Pope, but it is just Dom DeLuise, like, being himself, who is a, you know, comedian from the 80s. And it's just like, oh, God, this movie's just doing everything it can. They, they didn't ask if they should. They just did it. <laughs> exactly. So another good joke that was kind of hidden in there is when Johnny goes to visit his mom and... This is when Tommy is trying to drop out of law school. Yes. And he walks in. He goes, oh, Ma, what you making? And she says, beer. And he goes, oh, beer with noodles. Mm-hmm. Not bad. And now I kind of want to make beer with noodles. Oh, but don't... We, can get that, we can get back to that at the end of the, the podcast. I took the words right out of my mouth. You better believe <laughs> I have that listed under my snacks. <laughs> yes. 
Um, and then also in another scene, there's, you know, six-year-old Tommy reading law books mm-hmm. and Johnny tells his mom, he says, mom, there's a new law. You can't do laundry on your birthday. And Tommy goes, well, I don't think that's actually like, that's not actually a law. <laughs> and Johnny says, oh, you won't find that in your law books. And he's six years old. Who the fuck reads law books at six years old? <laughs> I don't read law books at 30 years old. Oh, that's a I, – I like that um... – I'm just oh god, my the thoughts are rushing in, Heather. I like that. I like that. Uh, you you picking that out because that is definitely uh, one of the one of our favorite movies here on Cinemodity. Also, Cinemodities also one of the worst movies in existence that everybody needs to see is the Book of Henry, and that is about like this kid is just a a literal like god. Like he's not just a genius. He's basically god, uh, and he's you know like. 12 years old and so this this little six-year-old reading law books definitely made me think of that when you pointed it out well it's also kind of like matilda and she can oh, yeah. read when mm-hmm. she's young too so smart kids smart kids they i guess they do exist at least in movies <laughs> yeah but who the fuck reads law books exactly, exactly. like it's one thing if you're going to read moby dick it's another thing if you're going to read a law book moby what what is this trash you're reading it's not trash, Daddy. It's lovely. It's called Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Moby what? This is filth. Trash. So so I have to ask you, on the topic of the brother, not when he's six years old, when he's much older and he's inexplicably trying to leave law school to get married. God, that makes me so angry. Which that actor reminds me a lot of Steve Carell. Oh, yeah, he definitely has that look. Uh, Griffin yes. Dunn is the actor's name, and he is infinitely better than Steve Carell. I love Griffin Dunn. Um, he's in my favorite Martin Scorsese movie, After Hours, which we will definitely talk about on this podcast one day. Just haven't found a way to fit it in. But I wanted to ask your opinion, Heather, in the, the great uh, educational video we get, Your Testicles and You. Oh, I made Justin watch that one earlier. So I, I sat him down. I made him watch it. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. The point of that movie, of this educational video, is to say that if you have sex, your testicles will explode, right? Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it's the other way around. That if you don't have sex? I mean, in reality. Yeah, in reality. Like, yes. if you don't release that pressure your balls are gonna like explode so i i guess i i guess i'm i'm you know paraphrasing the video or or taking a little more from the video the video actually tells us that if a betty boop lookalike character kisses your testicles they will explode (laughs) yes so i i i get that that's what he's going for in the movie where it's like he, he needs to like show his brother this video to be like you don't need to have sex yet you need to stay in law school because those things are mutually exclusive for some goddamn reason well and then he tommy mentioned too he's like well i've tried to get with the bad girls but they don't like a good guy like me laid is that what this whole thing's about getting laid hey tommy i thought it was about something serious it is serious I've tried going to bad girls, but for a clean-cut kid like me, it's just no dice. Oh, oh God. How do you get laid in 1930? Yes. It's, oh, God. And it just, I don't know. It makes, it's funny. Like, don't get me wrong, I like that, you know, like, uh, the what the um the the doctor in the video is like you know look at these poor souls that weren't saved and it's just dudes with like basketballs in their crotch and they're hobbling yes. around like well, that's great imagery for sure 
But I, I'm just kind of confused because it's like, well, why would Johnny have this? Maybe he would went and got it to show his brother. But clearly Johnny doesn't, like, think this way about sex. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe he does. Well, no, he doesn't because he goes with Lil and, and has sex with her and fireworks go off later. True, which I love that they mention when the fireworks go off. Like, oh, looks like Johnny's getting laid. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it makes, there's so much of this movie that it's like, if you if your brain is not completely turned off, and you're just laughing, then you're going to find so many problems with it. And it's, it's just infuriating to me. Yes. So, so you, uh, what, did, uh, what did you think? Uh, you're going to show more people the uh, Your Testicles and You video? Like, did you, like, edit that little video out and you're just showing it to people? <laughs> yeah, I actually put it on my Instagram. <laughs> For all, like, 30 of my followers. Oh, hot it's gonna damn. reach a very large crowd. See, very if, if, large. If you, I think, I think it means something if you're able to post videos on Instagram. I think you have to be very successful to do that. I think they like don't let you do that if you just start out. So, everybody, check out Heather's Instagram. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no idea how Instagram works. I, you are not the first person to say that on this podcast. So I like that we're keeping that going. <laughs> <laughs> like I have one, but I. Every time I try to go and post something, I, like, can't figure out how to do it for at least 10 minutes. So <laughs> Right on, right on. <laughs> oh, that's, also, that's good. Also, there's a monkey walking across my Skype screen humping my scroll bar. What? Yeah. What? That's I don't know how that what got What did you there. do, Heather? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got my chat pulled up, and I do not see that. <laughs> okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take a picture and... Send it to you. <laughs> this is this is this is perfect. <laughs> Everybody who's listening to this, just imagine what's going on because I'm I'm with you here, audience. Even I can't see it this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, it's sent over. Oh, okay. An- another thing we have to talk about. And I guess this is better time than any. Danny DeVito. He is such a great bad guy. Oh yes, I I love him. In this, he's the he's the dirty DA, so he's on Johnny's payroll. Um, I I love his first scene, or his maybe not his first scene, but his main scene. I would say is when he tries to get Tommy to play ball, and he has that like game show set up in his house. <laughs> for Tommy Kelly if he plays ball. In a hurry, Sally? Pop it into this time-saving microflame oven. Cook a whole turkey in just under a day. In a rut, Tom, get away from it all. Take a trip around the world on us twice aboard the (laughs) SS Kelly. And when you return, move into your own cozy little love nest. Plenty of extra closet space Perfect for entertaining. And on those chilly winter nights, Sally can wrap herself up in this number. And on those hot summer nights, she can wrap herself up in ice. It's all yours, Tommy, if you play ball. What do you say? And it's just... It, it it just works. It's stupid as as all the other jokes in this movie are, but I love it, especially because, you know, like you said, he offers them the microwave oven, but the other thing that he offers is 
for the, the young, lovely couple, the love nest. And he holds up a picture, which is supposed to be the little love nest, of the Philadelphia Museum of Art. <laughs> so apparently, he has enough pull as the DA in New York, in Manhattan, to give somebody the Philadelphia Museum of Art if they play ball. Great joke. Stupid joke, but great joke. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. So another plot hole, time hole thing is their idea of money. You're your time hole, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> your time hole. So in this particular time hole, like their whole idea of like they really don't take inflation into account. Like Definitely. who would pay forty nine ninety five for a pancreas surgery in nineteen ten? Like forty nine ninety five is a lot of money in yes. nineteen ten. So I I'm glad you bring that up because I was thinking the same thing. The forty nine ninety five for the pancreas surgery, and then this later week the, only. Yes, and later the doctor says uh, it's nine hundred ninety nine dollars for a thyroid search, which seems excessive. But also that's fifteen years later. Yes, or thirteen yes. years later. So, but also that's after the Great Depression. So you'd think that inflation would have gone down, but. I don't know exactly. I didn't check it for 1910, but I did check it for 1930. So 4995 in 1930 is about $771 today. So increase that even more for 1910. And that's that's a lot I guess for a pancreas surgery. I'm I'm assuming it's more expensive today. 771 might be a deal. <laughs> Yes, having a grandmother who just had pancreatic cancer, I can attest that it costs an arm and a leg. There, and is most of the time go. fatal. Yes, yes. So so Danny also, DeVita – oh, yeah, go for it. I don't even think that – it's called a Whipple surgery. I think W-I-P-P-L-E, Whipple Maybe with surgery. an H, maybe W-H, but yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I don't even think that came about until like later. Oh, so like it might not have existed in uh in nineteen ten. When did when did people <laughs> discover the pancreas? Now that that's a true that's a, a cinematodies question in grand fashion. When was the pancreas discovered? Even better, was the pancreas discovered or invented? <laughs> I think it was invented, and I think it was invented as a vestigial structure. It was invented by Lord Pancreas in the eighteen hundreds. By Lord Pancreas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that that is a good like. See, that's – I think you're you're totally there where it's like, you know, you're describing it perfectly where it's like this movie just isn't – the writers aren't thinking about anything. They're just like, oh, yeah, okay, she's sick. Uh, what what organ's funny? The, the pancreas, the thyroid, sure. Well, this was before the internet, so you can't really blame them. Well, I mean like, – You had to have like your fucking 20-book encyclopedia collection in order to look that up. Like, imagine doing that for every single joke. I mean, yeah, but th this movie cost $9 million to make. That's where movie budget should go, is research. <laughs> I agree, but... So apparently, the study of the pancreas began on March 2nd, 1642. I have I have some okay. issues. So I googled when did people discover the pancreas, and this is a little that's a little blurb that comes up. But I have some issues with this, Heather. One, that's a very specific date. Like, that is to the day when people studied the pancreas. And two, this is from the website. You ready for this? Pancreasclub.com. Oh, okay. <laughs> so okay. I, don't, I don't know if I, if I like this. <laughs> 
Is it .com or .org? Because if it's .org, you can totally trust it. It's a .com. Pancreasclub.com. I feel like that's probably the first autopsy that got performed. Okay, okay, Heather. Clear your calendar. <laughs> the, the 54th annual Pancreas Club meeting is October 2nd and 3rd, 2020 in Chicago. Oh, shit. Do we're you think we're going to be able to social distance? I don't know, but we're going. We have okay. to go to this. All right. But let's make sure we actually end up in Chicago and not New York. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I'm going down a, a dark rabbit hole with this Pancreas <laughs> Club website. I know. I feel like we haven't even really talked about the movie this whole podcast. Okay, we're going to get back to it. I'm just – I'm dying <laughs> to know. I need to find – how much the membership dues are. Oh my god. Okay. For for the the Oh my god, it wants information to know what how much the dues are? Can I just like say I want to pay dues? Okay, <laughs> I might have to do a correction. That I will I will spend too much time. Okay. Also make sure you double the fees because you're going to pay for mine too. Oh. <laughs> we'll put it on uh we'll put it on the uh the restaurants like tab. Put it on their tab. I was going to say like, you know, uh sheet like you know those like the uh the credits and debits like the accounting sheets yeah. and stuff yeah, but yeah, i think that's those. the same thing that's the fancier more formal version of a tab <laughs> yeah i mean you can write it off on your taxes so exactly it's a business expense we have to go really talk yeah. to the pancreas club people i will put pancreasclub.com in the show notes for anybody that is is in- dangerously interested in this as i am and so that will take us back to the movie with dangerously but i mean like so Okay, I think we went off on a Danny DeVito tangent somehow in there. He is he is great in that scene with Playball. He gets another scene where he is coming on to Johnny dangerously, and what he wants them to like go on a vacation to what Spain or, or Mexico or Cancun or something like that. I think this is very nice, although unexpected. Well, Winston, I figure you've been on the take from us for all these years. Just my way of saying thanks. That's real generous of you, John. You know, you've always seemed to me to be more sensitive than the rest. We should spend some time together. Say, two weeks in Puerto Rico. It's a thought. It's a thought. Wait. Did I miss this part? Did I fall asleep during this it's part? It's the same scene where Johnny gives him the, the red smoking jacket, and then he gets killed by a bull. Okay, so this is not the scene where he gives him a wad of cash. Not even a wad. It's like three bills of cash and tells him to go buy a second home. I think that's the first scene he's in. Okay. Yeah, because the, uh, the DA – because – because Johnny's brother, he graduates law school and he goes to work for the for the um, the government. He works for the DA and he becomes an assistant district attorney. And he's really hard on crime, or he wants to be really hard on crime. But of course, uh, Johnny, who has the DA Danny DeVito in his pocket, is like, you gotta like make sure he's not gonna come after us. But Danny DeVito can't do it. Like Johnny's brother is so anti-crime that he like won't you know let anything go. And so I'm pretty sure in uh, that first scene where Johnny's like, you got to take care of this, he gives him some money, and he's like, but you can't kill him, that type of thing. It's the well, in the first scene, Danny DeVito's getting a blowjob under his desk. Did oh, you notice yes. the feet when, under the desk? When he's introduced, yes. I forgot about yes. that one. But also he's getting a blowjob, but his zipper wasn't even undone. <laughs> That's when he the... stood up, he wasn't even like trying to tuck his shirt back in. or. Yeah, so I, I guess that's another thing I want to mention is that that whole, like, 
this movie doesn't even like stick with their with their jokes like that. That's a good one that I didn't notice that his his like fly wasn't undone or anything, or he's not like fixing his clothes. The the one that stood out to me is at the end when they're at the theater and Johnny's ma like orders the the popcorn, the milk duds, and the white fish. Yes. And and you see the shot of Danny Vermin like pick up the like take the napkin and pick up the white fish, and then it cuts to like him putting it on the counter, and it's just the napkin. There's no fish there, and I'm like, how fucking difficult would it have been to put a fish there? I think there was a fish rolled up in the napkin. The napkin was folded over. I oh, think it it's is. kind of like a napkin fish taco. It is. I I definitely considered that. I do not think it is thick enough. Like I think it it looks like it's just a napkin folded over. Like they were so like lazy with their mise en scène that they were just like, yeah, let's fold the napkin over. That's fine. It's like you have the fish prop. It's in the first scene, and then it's in the later when they're in the theater. She has the fish. Why couldn't they just fucking put the fish in that scene? I love yeah. this movie, everybody. Remember that I love this movie, but it infuriates me. <laughs> yes. So, so okay, back to Danny DeVito in the the uh, the last oh, scene. Oh, by the, the way, okay. as a cosmetologist, <laughs> oh yes, Danny DeVito's hair is probably the best I've ever seen it in this movie. Well, it's actually like there and combed. <laughs> exactly, it's actually on his head. Yes. He actually has hair on his head, and it's actually brushed. So, just saying. Is Danny DeVito's hair is on point in this movie. I, I know uh, I asked in the Throw Mom from the Train episode if we if I asked for the Danny DeVito haircut, would you give it to me? But now I have to specify which Danny DeVito haircut. Yes. Because <laughs> then now, like, modern-day Danny DeVito, it's all, like, gray and super sticks out. Oh, so, yeah. It's just yeah. crazy. He's got crazy old man hair. It's, it's awesome. I love that he rocks it, though. It's great. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, so in that scene where, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, Johnny, Johnny doesn't like him anymore as the DA because, um, the DA and Danny Vermin, like, put the hit out on his brother. And so Johnny's like, the Danny DeVito's gotta go, and he gives him the red smoking jacket, and then he's, like, he loves it, Johnny leaves the table, and Danny DeVito's holding the red smoking jacket, and then, like, the, the scene starts to rumble, and a bull crashes through, like, the bar, the restaurant they're in, and it kills Danny DeVito. And then it cuts to the newspaper stand, and one of the headlines on the newspapers is, D.A. Kill- da Burr dies in commercial. And I'm like, what the Commercial? Fuck? Like, yeah, no, I saw that too, and I was like, what the fuck is, are they talking about? Yes, I said, I, I think I've seen this movie, you know, so many times, and I never really thought about it, but this time I was like, what the hell does that mean? And so apparently the shot of the bull crashing through the wall, that was not something they filmed for this movie. It was a shot from a Schlitz malt liquor commercial that was popular in 1980. So this is a very dated joke. And I wanted to bring this up because we talked about it last week in Airplane that uh, there's this this movie review YouTube channel that we reference every now and then on Cinemodities. It's called Red Letter Media, and I have a love-hate relationship with them. And the thing I'm, I'm hating on them for this series is that whenever they discuss comedy movies, they always talk about the need for comedy to be timeless in the sense of, you know, you can see it in the 80s and laugh at it. You could see it today and still laugh at it. And the example they always use is that, like, modern spoof movies, like the later scary movie movies, things like that, they reference things that people won't remember. And it's like, they, they always say this is a bad thing, like, and it, they always say, or this one guy on, the, on their channel says, it's like, you can't do that, like, that makes a joke bad. And he's like, older comedies are better because they don't do that. 
And now we've talked about Airplane doing that with a Yubin Coffee commercial, and then even Johnny dangerously, dangerously does it with a Schlitz malt liquor commercial. So Red Letter Media, get your shit straight. <laughs> yes, yes, agreed. But that that's what it was. Um, so also about the timeliness of the movie and comedy, Danny DeVito mentions a, the red jacket being his smoking jacket. Yes. What the fuck is his smoking jacket? It's I I've heard of it before. I don't know in what context, but it's like uh, like I guess when you know old men would you know ha- smoke their pipe or whatever, they would do it in a in a, like a fancy jacket. I think it's like um, it's like Why? the old school version of a robe, kind of. It's like the fancier version of a robe, even though robes are kind of fancy today. <laughs> are robes fancy today? Because some of them, Justin I think. wears one when he wants to be a bum. I think, well, it might not be a, the robe itself, not all robes are fancy, but some robes can be fancy. How about that? Oh, okay. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll take it. A smoking jacket is an informal men's style of lounge jacket originally intended for tobacco smoking. Well, okay. <laughs> I, love there, I love that there's like, here's somebody in the, in the history of, of just fashion was like, look at this jacket. This should be used for smoking tobacco. Like, how do you draw that connection? <laughs> right? Like, maybe if I wear this jacket, then they won't know that I was, my wife won't know I was smoking tobacco. Oh, I kind of, I kind of like that. Like, maybe you, you only wear that jack, jacket when you're smoking tobacco and you take it off so you don't, like, get the smell on your other clothes. Yes. That's what it should say on the Wikipedia page, but it does not. <laughs> of course it doesn't. But apparently, out of the smoking jacket, the dinner jacket evolved. That's a very strange way Wait, to say that. Wait, really? The it. smoking jacket came before the dinner jacket? Yes, apparently the smoking jacket was 1850, and the dinner jacket was 1865. That seems very backwards. Definitely. Okay. We're learning st- stuff over here. Okay. All right. Interesting. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, yeah, smoking jacket, that's definitely, I don't think a lot of people would know today, for sure. Um, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So uh, I think, you know, uh, one of the other things that I wanted to mention about this movie and more of the, I think, you know, back on the topic of why it maybe didn't last or it wasn't remembered as well, um, you know, in comparison to something like Airplane or other spoof movies, of course, they're spoofing something like, you know, Airplane is a spoof of the disaster film genre. Um, This is the spoof of the gangster film genre, like we said. I think that the difference between this and a lot of other comedies and spoof movies, maybe, is that this really tries to be grounded in the gangster movie universe. Like Airplane, for example, is just like the pilot gets sick. They got to find someone to fly the airplane. That's it. That's really all the disaster element is. We're here. They're really trying to push, like, the, the gang wars, and they're really trying to push, like, the, the criminals versus the DA. And I think that this movie does – that does a disservice to this movie, where if you don't like gangster movies, you might not be into this, like, from right off the get-go. You might think some of the jokes are even stupider type of thing. What do you think about that? Um, it it kind of is, but I also feel like there's a lot of holes in the gangster genre. Like – I don't know, just out of all the other gangster movies I've seen, sure, this sure. has a lot more holes in it around, like, the gangster lifestyle. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, they, they try and have best of both worlds where they, they ground themselves too much in the gangster genre, but then try to do those jokes that are outside of it, like you said. And it doesn't, it doesn't mix and match well at all, I think. It comes off like, you know, they had four individual independent writers. 
you know, uh, not even just Airplane and, you know, maybe something like The Naked Gun. I think two movies that are spoofing something very particular, but they, they let themselves be loose enough with it so that all the jokes can work to some extent. I think also, you know, this movie doesn't really do anything unique either. Like some other classic comedies, you know, like uh, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, where they're not really spoofing something, but they're putting themselves in a very, very unique premise that they can wrap jokes around. And, you know, maybe like we were saying before, even The House Bunny, even though I don't think that's funny, and you do, it's still a comedy. Like, you cannot say that it is not made to be a comedy. And that yeah. is, you know, putting themselves in this very unique premise of, you know, this this Playboy Bunny has to be the house mother for this sorority. And, and you know, not that that's totally unique, but it puts itself in that world and it says, okay, this is what we're doing. These are what we're going to form our jokes around. And I think, you know, this movie is, Johnny Dangerously is right in the middle where it doesn't know if it wants to form itself around the gangster genre or if it wants to just have that as like a loose basis for everything. It tries to have the best of both worlds and it just is a detriment to the film, I think. Yes, I agree. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't seen a lot of other gangster movies, I think, like, overall. Definitely not, I think, from like the 50s and 60s, which I think this is directly spoofing. Like, what's the... I saw, like, American like Gangster. Scarface. And... Scarface is so long. I'm not the biggest fan of Scarface. <laughs> I don't think I've actually seen Scarface. Uh, <laughs> but even things like, I don't know, Breaking Bad. That kind of has, like, a gangster feel to it. Yeah, it definitely gets into that world. And it, it firmly yeah. gets itself into that world. Yeah. Exactly. And then, too, how many explosions happen in this movie with nobody dying or even getting hurt? Oh, my God. When they, like, drop the bombs, the missiles on Maroney outside of his club and they just, like, very Looney Tunes style have, like, you know, uh, soot on their faces and he's like, I'm going to get those Fargan bastages. And I'm just like, what? what's the point of this? <laughs> exactly. Not to mention Maroney standing outside and he's like, this club is too small. You have to turn people away. Like, I want to take this wall out, this wall out, and this wall out, and then the bomb comes. Yeah. And it's like, you pretty much just did him a favor <laughs> if your bomb had actually done anything. Yeah, exactly. I uh, yeah, there was a few things like that where I was just like, I I don't I don't get it. I don't think uh, there's any like amount of thought I could put into it to get it. It's just it's just dumb, and I think that's you know it, it just didn't land for me that type of thing. These jokes didn't land, and I think that's just uh, a hallmark of a lot of comedies for anybody. You know, it's very rare that you find a movie that you think is like you know a hundred percent hilarious or funny. They exist. Don't get me wrong, and I have. Do they? Do they exist? A hundred percent. Freddy Got Fingered and Freaked are the two funniest movies in existence because I, from the moment it starts, like the movie, the picture doesn't show up. Just as soon as I hit play, I start laughing all the way through the credits. Uh, Interesting. The Thumb movies as well, I find ungodly hilarious. Like, I love those. That movie with the puppets about America? Team America? World Police? Yes. I don't think that's fully funny, but that, that is pretty good. I do, uh... I know you referenced that the the other time with Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that wasn't. That was. Wait, was that a? Yes, that was definitely Team America. Really? Because I thought it might have been South Park. Well, I think you might be confusing the fact that both are made by the same people. <laughs> yes. Also, that I'm getting confused that a uh, other show you make us watch is super creepy. Oh, the Shivering Truth. <laughs> yes, the Shivering Truth. Which, by the way, we showed that to some of our friends the other day, and they were thoroughly freaked out. And we watched two episodes, and they're like, I can't do this anymore. Oh, right on, right on. Yes, uh, 
it's it's a acquired taste. Anything Vernon Chapman does. Vernon Chapman is the creator of that show, and he's also the narrator. But I've definitely had that instance where I've like shown people Shivering Truth and Wonder Chosen, which is an earlier show of his, and it ends, and they're like, "Yeah, I never want to see any of that again." <laughs> yeah, and so that was actually my first response to that show, and then now I've watched it over again. That show, Shivering Truth. One day we will discuss Shivering Truth on here. Okay, we'll it is a masterpiece. That show is a it fucking really is. masterpiece. <laughs> it's like the definition of a mind fuck, and they literally like bring up the idea of getting mind fucked. Yes, yes. And, like there's actually like mind fucking that goes on in this show. <laughs> so also at just another like hidden joke thing when Tommy's at his graduation and mom's like oh let me get a picture and she reaches into her purse and she starts handing to sally like she pulls out a wig and gives sally a wig she pulls out like a t-bone steak and gives her a steak and then there's like what i'm pretty sure is a dildo yes that she then gives sally and um i thought that was interesting yeah, it's it's either a I think it's a dildo. I, I it might be a, for some reason I remember it being a vibrator, and that would go with what you were saying that there's like things that are definitely out of place because I don't know when vibrators were invented. So yeah, I mean, when was the battery invented? That's that's also a good question. I, I think like <laughs> yeah, when when was like the portable battery invented? Who buys a dildo that doesn't vibrate? Anyways, that's a story for a different day. Um, Everybody, email, email, <laughs> cinemodities at gmail.com. Do you buy a dildo that doesn't vibrate? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of just, like, lump them all together. Like, who does that? Oh, that's good. That's good. So, I, uh, speaking of those, those, maybe not, it's not really background, but it's going on while other things are, are just happening. I, I absolutely love, it, it gets me every time I watch this movie when... I think it's one of the first cutbacks when Johnny's telling his story and it goes back to him in the pet shop, like, telling the, the story to the, the kid. And he is using a sticker gun to put price tags on dogs. Yes! That is hilarious. Once again, it goes what you were saying. I don't know if sticker guns existed back then, but I don't care. That is funny as hell. Yeah, also, <laughs> how long do you think those stayed on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Has to be and some also, strong adhesive. You know, like, what kind of... I would actually really love to go to that kind of pet store that has, like, monkeys and ducks and birds and puppies and cats and whatever the fuck else he has yep. in there. Like, you can't <laughs> find pet stores like that today. I don't know if you could back then, but you definitely cannot today. The guaranteed rabbits, yep. <laughs> to maturity, yes. <laughs> yeah, that I think that is definitely, like, my, my favorite gag in the movie is that, the price tags on dogs. Like, that gets me every time. I just love that idea. I think I just have a soft spot for putting price tags on things that don't, like, warrant having price tags on them. Like, like people. Like, putting price tag on a person. Like, if I had a sticker gun and I was, like, around you, Heather, I would totally put a price tag on your arm. Like, it, you would have to, like, hold me back from putting a price tag on your arm, you know? Oh, I, I know. I would have to... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to straight up, like, wear one shirt around you... And then as soon as you leave, take that shirt off because there's probably a thousand hidden price tags on it. Just covered in stickers. Yes. Just covered in price tags. So so I know we mentioned him earlier, uh, Danny Vermin. And like I said, my favorite joke is the my – mother, my mother did that once. Once. I love that. Um, I He has another line that – where what? He's, uh, he's 
Johnny like meets Lil for the first time, and he's like, "Fellas, I'm in love," and he's apparently like angry towards women and he has the line where he says something like dames have put on this earth to weaken us to laugh at us when they see us naked and yes. i dig i dig that line i uh, i think that is definitely a uh has that happened to you before rob have people laughed at you when you get naked i hope it's because of what i'm saying and not because of me actually being <laughs> naked but i don't have any way to like separate the two like i've definitely been naked and had people laugh around me I don't know okay. if I don't know where their laughter was coming from, though. Unfortunately, I I I hope it wasn't just my body. Now I'm well, self conscious. Like, laughed at somebody because they had like a third nipple or something, and I've you were never, just, like genuinely surprised. I've never, You've never met, seen a third nipple. I've seen a third nipple, but uh, like not in person. Like I've only seen it in like pictures and movies and stuff like that. Oh, you have never seen a real life third nipple? No. Do you, uh... And honestly, it's more intriguing than it is um, laughable. Yeah, I, that's that kind of the next thing I was thinking is that if I if I saw someone with a third nipple, I'd just be like, "Oh, is that like a third nipple?" Like, I don't know if I would bust out laughing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe if you got naked and then like farted while you were bending over to take off your pants, that might trigger me to just laugh hysterically. That's why you like the house bunny, Heather. Stuff, stuff like that makes you laugh. That is that is definitely not something that I would laugh about. You wouldn't laugh at that? No. I'm laughing at you for laughing at that, but not at that. <laughs> uh, another um, joke that I, I love is uh, at the very beginning of the movie when uh, the, the 1935 like title card appears and then the car drives by and crushes it. Yes. I love that. I have an affinity for that. I, I think I saw that in this movie for the first time. Um, I know you haven't seen it yet, Heather. I know one day you'll watch it. But in the uh, beginning of Thumb Wars, so the Thumb movie parody of Star uh. Wars, you know Star Wars has the the, uh, the text crawl at the beginning of all the movies. And so Thumb Wars has that where the, the text is going up the screen. And then at the beginning when the text ends and the, sh- the spaceships are flying, one of the spaceships you hear someone go, watch out for that word, and they crash into the bottom of the text. Oh, that's funny. Wonderful. I love that. I yes. love that, like, messing with the the uh, the things that come up on screen for the audience in the reality of the movie. I don't know if that's technically considered breaking the fourth wall. I, I guess it wouldn't be because it's, like, not acknowledging that the audience is there. Like, the 1935 could just be there for some reason. You can call it, like, the third and a half wall. The third and a half wall. <laughs> yeah, like, you're not necessarily acknowledging that there's an audience there, but you are acknowledging that there's something there that only the audience should be seeing. Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. That's, yeah, that's a, interesting. it's a third and a half wall. Okay, okay. I think that we could w- workshop and refine that name, but we'll take it for what we got now. Okay, all right. <laughs> So uh, you mentioned earlier, I wanted to bring it back, uh, the anti-theft device for the pet shop. I uh, I love the implication of that joke is that apparently enough people were stealing animals from this pet shop that Johnny had to invent an anti-theft alarm. Like, I just want to know how many thefts happen at that place for him to get that idea and implement it. Like, I, I also can't imagine people just, like, pocketing animals? That seems very strange to me. Yeah, like, if you can't afford the animal, how are you going to pay for it? Like, how are you going to feed it? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Maybe that, like, a like a, a kid prank is like, I'm going to take animals and release them in the wild. Maybe it's like a PETA thing. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> a PETA thing. 
the first PETA uh, protest. Yes, that kid that gets the story told to him was definitely from PETA, and he was trying to release the animals. <laughs> He's paying for it. And then I love how he sends him out with a cat. Like, you wanted a dog, but here's a cat. <laughs> yeah, he gives him an animal at the end. Once again, I think the writers were just n- not clued in with each other, and they're just like, oh, what's this kid doing here? Oh, he's trying to steal an animal, so he's getting a story about how he shouldn't go into life of crime? Fuck that. Let's just give him an animal for free at the end. That doesn't, you know, contradict anything. I also thought it was really funny when Johnny starts telling a story at the beginning and it gets all, like, blurry, like he's having a flashback, and they recognize that it's happening. Yeah, he says, the kid's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, that just happens whenever I talk about the past. Like, uh, it's going to go away in a few minutes or something like that. Exactly. Does that count as a fourth wall? Uh, not, I don't don't think that's fourth Uh, wall. I think that's, like... Three and a quarter? Uh, I think that's just, I don't think that's any wall. I think that's just the concept of, like, a meta joke. Like, the, the movie is making fun of something movies do. I don't really know if that's, like, a, a wall is related. Mm-hmm. Even though the wall okay. is technically getting blurry and, uh, and wispy. <laughs> Before I throw it over to you for the uh, some other jokes, if you had any more to point out, I did want to mention, which we haven't uh, talked about at all. I mean, we did talk about Lil the uh, Johnny's love interest. And and like you said, you know, she's good. She has a good performance in this movie. Mary Lou Shepard, I believe her name is. She sings the song Dangerously that was written for this movie the night that Johnny Dangerously Dangerously gets named the successor for the mob. And I have to say, I really like that song. I'm just a slave. like the choreography that went with it as well yeah and i I just love what you know it's like that i was like had that stuck in my head after i watched this movie i was like i want to live dangerously and it's it's a it's good usually for these movies that have like these little musical numbers they don't really stick with me or they're they're just kind of neutral but this one i i kind of you know was was humming along to for the few days afterwards (laughs) i really like that actress and i feel like she's very talented I mean, she can sing, she can dance, she can act, and I feel like she didn't overact. Even though her character is kind of overacting. Mary Lou Henner is her name. I said Shepard before, but yeah, okay. she's a yeah. She is she is good. You know, um, I don't think I've ever seen her in anything else. I don't even know what she's in. Apparently, she's in L.A. Story with Steve Martin, which I never saw, but I know about. Apparently, she was in Vamps, the other Amy Heckerling movie that we mentioned ah. earlier. So, so years later. Um, so yes, but no, you're absolutely right. She puts in a, a great performance. Uh, she plays the comedy like perfectly. And even in the, the more serious scenes of the movie, which of course are underscored with jokes, but like when they're talking about like having kids and stuff like that, she's, she's doing great. Usually I hate that, you know, like sappy relationship stuff in comedies in any movie, but here I'm just like, no, it's like, it's, it's used sparingly and she owns it. Cause she, like I said, she puts in a great performance. Oh God. She said something in that scene about talking about kids that I just thought was hilarious. 
God, it wasn't about having kids and dogs in the front yard. I feel like it, it was kind of referencing, like, letting yourself go a little bit. Oh, okay. That could be it. Yeah, I don't remember too much. of The, the only uh, part of that scene that sticks out to me is because when Johnny is, like, coming ar- around to the idea and they're bo- looking out the window longingly, he says something like, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to say hi to a neighbor named Fred, which is, I have to imagine, is a reference to Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So that's the only thing that stood out to me. Oh, interesting. Okay. I feel like I need to rewatch that scene. And, yeah. I will put the clip in and uh, the audience can see if uh, anything stands out. <laughs> Dare we dream? Hanging curtains, ironing shirts. Yeah, carpools, PTA. Sharing a casserole recipe, putting up shelf paper. Oh, Johnny, I love shelf paper. Little house, white picket fence. Kids and dogs playing in the front yard. <laughs> Saying hi to a neighbor named Fred. Yeah, well, maybe there is a rainbow forest out there. So, yeah, were there any other jokes that you wanted to mention? Uh, anything else? I think I mentioned all the scenes I like. I have some little other facts that I'll point out, but uh, anything else that you found was was funny or, or anything at all? I think we covered all my notes. Oh, okay. Right on, right on. Except for I would like to know when blood samples and fingerprints started getting taken. Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, so who, who, <laughs> who invented fingerprints? <laughs> who invented? God invented fingerprints. <laughs> so, oh, uh... Apparently, the the beginnings of the observations of fingerprints as means of identifications was the 1880s. Oh, okay. What about blood samples? Blood? That's that's an even better question because, you know, I think there was like a really long time – when, you know, like, forensics forensics didn't exist and, like, when crime scenes would be found, like, the immediate thing would be, like, to clean up the blood, that type of thing. And I, okay. think, that, I think that went on for, like, a while. Also, while we're on forensics, did you mention that Jacko Dundee is in uh, Law & Order? Isn't he, like, the DA in Law & Order? I don't think so. So Jacko Dundee is played by Peter Boyle. Uh-huh. Um, who is a fantastic actor. He is, of course, I think uh, his best-known roles are as Young Frankenstein's monster in the Mel Brooks movie uh, Young Frankenstein. He is also the father on Everybody Loves Raymond. Was he ever in Law & Order? That's a good—maybe like one episode, but I, he's definitely not recurring. I feel like he was in like a lot of— Law and Order. As a Law and Order expert, I'm going to say no. NYPD Blue. That is a different show. And he was only in five episodes of NYPD Blue. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um... (laughs) A show that got 261 episodes. Wait, who was it in Law and Order who looks like the DA, who looks like Peter Boyle? Uh, that's that's a tough one. I would need more information than looks like Peter Boyle. <laughs> I know, you're still trying to look up the Danny DeVito lookalike from that other Oh, thing. yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and, yeah, and Billy Crystal and Rob Schneider. I don't know, Heather, are you familiar with the concept of face blindness? I, I might have it. Yeah, that was about to ask you. Do you think you have face blindness? You should you should talk to uh, – two weeks ago, we had a guy from a Law & Order uh, podcast on. His name is Aviv, and he, he definitely has face blindness, and he owns it, and he talks about it a lot. So maybe you should check, check in with him. <laughs> see if you got the same symptoms. <laughs> maybe I do. Ah, shit. Okay, I'll have to look into that again 
later. Yeah, you got it. You got it. My my unprofessional opinion, Heather. You have face blindness. <laughs> you have hardcore face blindness. <laughs> I don't doubt it because my vision's pretty good in all the other. You know. Is that why you call me a different name every time you see me? You think I'm someone else? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> oh God. Until I cut your hair and then it comes back and it's like, oh, that's right. That's the only way it works when you see when after you cut my hair. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, so I, uh, just a few things that I, I stuck out to me when I watched this movie um, that I, I didn't really notice, and maybe I noticed it better because we've w- watched uh, on Cinemodities rewatched some of these movies recently. Um, but there is a scene where the a delivery guy delivers a big wooden box to the like headquarters of the Dundee gang. And it turns out to be the Maroni robot that like shoots them up. Another example, there's a robot apparently in 1930 in this movie. Um, So the delivery man is, is, his uh, name is at, his real name is Taylor Negron. And he is Fausto in nothing but trouble, which was back from our pure cinemodities series, which is a ridiculous movie. But I was just shocked to see him in this little tiny role. Something that was even more shocking that I did not remember is that when Johnny first gets uh, goes into prison and he uh, goes to death row, because I guess, you know, he goes to prison because he gets framed for killing the crime commissioner, which I don't know if that's like a real thing, the crime commissioner. I think it's just the police yeah, commissioner. No um, but he gets to death row and he like knows everybody there because he's such a popu- popular gangster. And as he's going down and the warden's talking to him, from the other direction, there's a, a guy who's going to the electric chair and a priest. And they stop to talk to Johnny, and the priest is played by Jack Nance. And Jack Nance is the lead actor. He plays Henry X, or just Henry, I should say. Sorry, it's Mary X. In Eraserhead, one of the greatest movies of all time, a David Lynch movie. And he is also Pete Martell in Twin Peaks. And... I'm going to say this, and Zach, wherever he is at the restaurant, wherever award ceremony is going on for our uh, award he's taking in, he's going to subconsciously or t- like telepathically hear me say this. He's going to roll his eyes. There's a fish in the percolator. Uh, There's a lot of stuff you need to watch, Heather. That's, that's where I'll end yeah. that. But everyone in our audience is losing their minds that Jack Nance is in Johnny Dangerously. Okay. All right. <laughs> so also in that whole like prison scene, I love that Johnny has a pocket full of cash and he gives it to the prison guard and says, Hey, make sure the boys get some quiche. Yes. I was yes. like, why quiche of all things? I don't know. Maybe quiche is seen as fancy. I, I mean, I guess it kind of is seen as fancy. I mean, right? I love me some quiche. Don't get me wrong. But, um, also he has, uh, the best suit ever. Oh yes, His absolutely. His suit is like it's a really nice getup. Yeah, yeah. Crime, crime doesn't pay except for him, as he tells us at the end of the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I think overall, you know, it's um, our discussion of this movie was as scattered and loose as the goddamn movie is itself. Uh, if you've never seen this one, definitely check it out. I think uh, if you're if you're a big comedy fan and completionist of like spoof parody movies. Like, like it's 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 worth seeing. I think for that reason, uh, if you like Michael Keaton, you know definitely Michael Keaton is great in this movie, and I'm a a big fan of Michael Keaton. And I think overall, you know, it's it's just infuriating. It, this movie makes me very angry, but I love it. I got this love hate relationship. So, any final thoughts from you, Heather, on Johnny Dangerously? 
No, I thought it was really good. Other than the, you know, I mean, like, the plot holes and stuff. But I feel like when you're in spoof movies, you kind of see past that. Um, yeah. They're definitely, like, it's definitely in the category of, like, the, the turn-your-brain-off type of stuff. Yeah. I turned mine off a little too much, and then I napped. So. <laughs> yeah, well, there's definitely some type of fine line of turning your brain off. I think uh, you're learning that, Heather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, before we get to our questions, uh, it won't be next week. I think it'll be a little later in August. Um, uh, we will have Heather back. I hope we'll have Heather back if she doesn't. You, you know, better have me back. Run away, but we're gonna have you back in this series. And I'm, I'm mentioning this because I'm very interested. We're gonna take this movie that we've now discussed and watched, Johnny Dangerously, which is you know like we said, Amy Heckerling, uh, Hertzberg. So it's got a, a very distinct comedic fingerprint on it. And when Heather's back, we are going to discuss a Zazz movie, which is a very, very different style of comedy. Um, and it'll be very interesting to not only discuss that movie, but we're going to do some comparisons. So, Heather, between now and then, you can't forget this movie completely, okay? Um, no promises. <laughs> okay, okay. We do so, live in Colorado, and there is weed here, so... Save your notes, Heather. At least okay, that I will help. Okay, I got him. I got him. I got him. <laughs> Heather's like, nope, with what I just said about Colorado, I already rolled them up and smoked them. <laughs> Wait, what were we talking about? No. <laughs> Matt Damon. Uh, <laughs> Damon. Okay, so hold on. Wait, one more thing. Yes. Just one. Just one. Do you think that young Johnny did his own stunts? Oh, when he's like when he's like beating up the gangsters the and stuff yeah. in the club? Yeah. Um Because his form when he goes like up on the bar and like swings around and then kicks him in the face, is it's incredible. He looks like an actual gymnast. I did notice that where I was like, "What? This dude's a paper boy, so he has like mad acrobatic skills. Like that doesn't make sense." And I mean, his toes were perfectly pointed when he like went <laughs> up. Like, yes. Yeah. I would probably bet that he did not do his own stunts. Um, I know that uh, back when Justin and I talked about Matilda, we talked about the one of my favorite actors and stunt people, Deep Roy, who is a little person who regularly does stunts for children. So I would imagine um, Deep Roy is not listed in the stunts for this. I think this might have been before Deep Roy was in the industry. Um, but I would definitely bet that they had some little people doing stunts for that child actor in this movie. Okay, so you don't think that child actor was actually really kick-ass? No, I'm tempted to say no, uh, but now you've gotten me interested enough because... Let's see, okay. So his name is Troy Slayton, or Slatten, is the guy who plays young Johnny... Nope, that's the guy who plays young Tommy, excuse me, his brother. <laughs> Byron Thames, or Thames, if it's pronounced like the river, um, is the guy who plays young Johnny. And uh, no, it doesn't look like it. So yeah, yeah, apparently, yeah, I would bet it was a stunt double. It doesn't look like he's a, he's a great gymnast or, any, or acrobat or anything like that. Okay, all right. Does that oh, disappoint okay. you? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> But what his bio does tell me is that he married somebody and had a son by age 24. So cool. Wow, I that's guess. young. He must have been one of those that his balls were starting to explode, so he had to get married. <laughs> his balls were starting to explode. That's definitely definitely the the, the prognosis right there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. My balls are gonna explode. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I gotta get married. More 
more stupid humor. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. So all that being said, Johnny Dangerously, out of the way, we can now ask our questions. And I'm going to throw it over to you, Heather. What do you think for our Cinemodities and Late Night for Johnny Dangerously? I mean, I watched it midday and I fell asleep twice. So <laughs> I don't know exactly if I'd call it a late night movie. Um, also, if you're trying to get late afterwards, it might make your partner's balls cringe. That's true. This movie might be like, you know, oh, we can't have sex. Well, the men, the man would say we can't have sex. Whoever has testicles in the partnership, I'm trying to be as careful as I can with this. They might not want their balls to explode. So they might want your Betty Boop looking ass to get away from them. <laughs> or they want their balls to explode, but through a different outlet. Betty, Betty Boop looking ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What is this? We're only two episodes, two weeks into the comedy series, and it's driving me crazy. I feel like my brain is rotting. <laughs> so, so are you saying, is that your no to late night? Yeah, I say so. Okay. And then what about cinemodity, do you think? I mean, it's definitely one of those odd things and then now that you say that it was written by four different people it makes me realize how much more odd that it is sure um so i mean it's odd but i don't know if it's you know like a you have to see it before you die kind of movie oh oh yeah i would definitely agree with you there it's definitely not you know required viewing for everybody so so you is your is saying yes that it's odd you're saying yes to cinemodity just so you know heather if you leave something if anybody leaves something unanswered it goes in the spreadsheet and i'm gonna have to bother you when we do our next yearly extravaganza for our three-year anniversary to answer can you you break down exactly what a cinemodity is for me please because i don't know if i have like a deep enough understanding of what a cinemodity (laughs) is to be able to answer this question thoroughly so First and foremost, a cinemodity is a portmanteau, a combination of the words cinematic and oddity. And I don't think you're going to like this answer, Heather, but there are no steadfast rules to what a cinemodity is. Okay. So you can say yes, you can say no, but you have to you have to justify it somehow. It's a it's kind of like it's a uh, it's different for everybody, you know, that type of thing. Oh, okay. All right. Um it was definitely an odd movie, but yeah, we'll, we'll go with the cinemodity. Oh, okay. sure. Okay. <laughs> See, you got you got lucky. I don't remember what you said for Showgirls, but Showgirls. I think we had... I said it was also a cinemodity, and you were like, "No, it's not." And I was like, "I don't think I know what this definition <laughs> means." Okay. And I kind of like shut up and didn't say anything else on it. Um... And then you 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 uh, snuck under the radar last time with Throw Mama from the Train because I very specifically remember your answer, which is in the spreadsheet. Anything with Danny DeVito is a cinemodity. <laughs> okay, so yeah, this is a cinemodity. Yeah, oh, this one right. has Danny DeVito, so... I did not even... My brain is totally rotted. Rob, I did not I even make that connection. I answered this one a month in advance. I <laughs> yes. answered this question. <laughs> Heather's like, I can only talk about movies with Danny DeVito because half of the <laughs> questions I have to discuss are answered. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm glad we figured that out. I'm, I hope that there was someone in the audience who listens to us regularly who, when I asked you that question, was just screaming at their phone or their computer or whatever, going, it's a cinemodity. She said this already. <laughs> <laughs> They remember me. Yes. I have a following. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, yeah, your Instagram, like we said, you're huge. You can post videos. <laughs> I have like 30 followers. So for, for Cinemodity for me, I'm going to go no. Uh, my exact feeling on it is it's a dumb comedy that has a special place in my heart, but that's the most I can classify it as. 
I just because of the multiple writer thing, you know, this movie is not unique with that. There's definitely been other movies that have, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen type of thing. And I don't think that's enough to make it a cinemodity. So I'm going to go no to cinemodity. But what about the Danny DeVito thing? I do not agree with the... <laughs> there were definitely some movies in the Danny DeVito series last month that I said no to cinemodities. I, I don't I don't share your just steadfast Danny DeVito cinemodity thoughts, Heather. <laughs> you can have them. I appreciate them, but I don't share them. <laughs> okay, all right, well. For late night, I'm going to go no. Uh, I think that this runs a high risk of... You know, well, I guess you know. Once again, whenever I talk about late night movies, I love like saying it as you know, you're you're with somebody or a group of people, and you have the chance to show them all a movie. You have them in their in your clutches. You know, you can put prongs in their eyes to hold them open. That type of thing in some cases, but I think this movie runs a high risk of someone completely detaching from it early on. Like, I, I think that some of this comedy is so dumb that, you know, maybe if uh, if it starts up and somebody's thinking they're going to get, like, an airplane or maybe something like a uh, a more recent and more structured comedy like a, you know, maybe a, like a House Bunny, like a There's Something About Mary, like some more classic comedies that they start to watch this and they're just like, nope, like, I, I'm not getting behind it. And that's the bane of a late night movie. Like, if someone detaches from it early and they, like, they bust their phone out and they're not paying attention to it, it's it's not a, a good thing. And so I'm going to go no to that. So no to both for me. So Justin is a really good marker for determining if something is a late night anything mm-hmm. because he... Don't tell him I'm saying this, but he has a slight narcolepsy and he falls asleep during I things. Narcolepsy. He has narcolepsy. He has it. Um, <laughs> so if he falls asleep in things like there are certain movies or shows that we have tried to watch together like multiple times and he just passes out. So I think my marker for a late night movie is whether or not Justin makes it 15 minutes in. <laughs> 15 minutes in. Okay. Yeah. He just passes out. I don't know if you've witnessed this or not, but it's a thing that he does. No, because Justin doesn't need to fall asleep around me because he enjoys my presence. Heather. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. Oh, no, that I like okay. that. 15, I, 15 minutes is a lot less than I thought you were going to say, but I dig it. <laughs> Okay, so that brings us to, then, of course, the snacks portion. And since we mentioned earlier, I have to say, like I mentioned, it's on my list. Noodles cooked in beer. Yes. I think it should just be that. I don't have any, like, weird or crazy twist to it. I think it should – it's crazy enough as it is, I would say. Uh, But, of course, I think it should be called something like the Ma Kelly Special – and we can cook it up, maybe give some choice of beer to the customer, choice of noodles, that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but just, just they, they sold me when I heard that in this movie for the restaurant, noodles cooked in beer. The other thing that we did mention was uh, at the movie theater, I would love a dish of popcorn, milk duds, and whitefish. Maybe it's a dessert, but I, I would just love to, you know, combine popcorn with milk duds and a, a whole cooked whitefish. And are they actually going to be, like, chopped up together in, like, a casserole type thing, or are they going to be all separate? I was thinking all separate, but I like where you're going with the, the mixing together. That's pretty I mean, gnarly. you know I'm a southern girl. I love, like, the one-pot dishes, <laughs> you know. But so the- maybe uh, maybe we leave it up to the customer if they want them separate or, or mixed together type of thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. There can be two options. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe, like, three. You could do, like, fish on top or, like... A fish napkin taco on the side <laughs> or with, like, popcorn and milk duds in your fish napkin taco. You haven't, you haven't good thoughts, but but you're giving the customer too much control now, Heather. 
<laughs> I mean, come on. What is that? Is it Burger King or McDonald's or some shit? And they're like, you can have it your way? That is definitely Burger King. <laughs> All right. McDonald's well, is on loving it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you can have it your way. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. No, that's bad. That's bad. We don't like McDonald's. We're giving now we're giving oh! other we're giving other restaurants publicity now, Heather. What are we doing? <laughs> they need to pay us. Let's bill them. Yes. Let's bill them. Get our royalties. So I have a few more, but Heather, what did you have for the snacks and for the restaurant? Um, so also, you know, like liver, hold the onions. Sure. Okay. Okay. I think we have liver on there in a few places already, so that's good. Tuna, hold the mayo. Sure. Tuna tuna is good. Mayo is also good. Have you ever had liver, actually, while we're on that topic? Probably not willingly. <laughs> I, I worked at a French restaurant once, and they used to slip me really weird food. Oh, uh, have you ever had foie gras? No, but I had snails one time, and I'm okay. actually deathly allergic to snails. Yes, I think you've mentioned that on this podcast before. Yeah, deathly allergic to snails. So uh, foie gras is goose liver. Oh, shit. My dad loves foie gras. There's also another thing like pate, like duck liver, right? Oh, yeah, yep, yep, pate. I think I've maybe had some pate. Maybe I have had liver. Yep, yep, yeah. A liver is pretty good. I've, I've definitely had pate and foie gras, and I've also had, like, cow liver, like, cooked up, like, with liver and onions type of thing. Uh, oh, and chicken livers, too. Chicken That's livers? Thing. Yep, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've liked it, for sure. I, I definitely... uh. I have a, a thing for eating weird foods, and, and liver is definitely there. It's not the weirdest, but but it's definitely on there. <laughs> it's, like, really good for you, especially if you're anemic. How can eating, like, the organs of other living creatures not be good for you? Like, that has to be the best. Well, like, I mean, eyeballs, if they're, like, perfect. a drug-addicted animal or, like, an alcoholic animal, then you might catch the alcoholism. Catch the alcoholism. Well, we don't have anything to worry about that, Heather. <laughs> we already caught not. the alcoholism. I'm actually so. sober right now as we speak. We can eat all the liver we want. We're not catching that. <laughs> we already got it. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, I, li- I like those. The liver, the tuna. What else? Anything else you got? I mean, he had pet ducks, but I really love duck. Duck is good, yeah. I could eat some duck. Are you just, are you saying things to the restaurant? Or are you just saying what you want to eat? <laughs> I'm actually really hungry right now. I think you say that every, every time you're on here. <laughs> I know. You always make me do this at my dinner time. And it's like, do I eat dinner before? Do I eat dinner after? <laughs> yeah. So I was also thinking um there's that scene when they're the Johnny and uh Lil are living together in that fancy apartment and Mrs. Capone comes by and she's like can I borrow a cup of bullets I would love to just serve people a cup of bullets Oh she said a cup of not a couple Yeah and don't she she has like the little like measuring cup in her hand she's like can I borrow like a cup of milk like a cup of bullets Oh that's funny Yes and so a cup of bullets at the restaurant for sure um the other thing I was thinking is we mentioned earlier that the fireworks go off when Johnny and Lil have sex. I would like fireworks to go off in the restaurant every time someone has sex in the restaurant. Now, this raises the question, how do we tell every time somebody has sex in the restaurant? And I think the easiest way to do this is to install chips in people that enter the restaurant. Yes, yeah, like that dog tail anti-theft yes device. exactly it's but some every type time of device your theft device gets stimulated it, yeah it measures some sense of stimulation for sure yes. and and fireworks are going to go off in the restaurant which is totally okay because it's an infinite void of space so we can find room for fireworks and everybody's going to know that when the fireworks go off somebody's getting laid in the restaurant 
and I, I... And we all clap and open up all of the closet doors. It's like it's like a birthday at a restaurant when everybody claps like for the few moments after they sing the song. The mariachi band comes out. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see how often fireworks are going off in the restaurant because I don't know the frequency of sex in the restaurant. We know yeah. it has to be happening because there are people trapped in the restaurant and people are only human so i mean you did just make all those closets for parents to drink children yeah exactly (laughs) i mean if you're in a closet seven minutes in heaven that's all it takes when you're married (laughs) now i'm just thinking that the fireworks should go off in the room that people are having sex in (laughs) and i'm just imagining like two people in a very tiny closet getting it on and then just fireworks start going like blowing their fingers off and making them go deaf and Oh, that, that might be it's the best. It's a really great way to remove your pubic hair. <laughs> so speaking of um, maybe not uh, uh, closets, but some, some bathrooms, uh, there is a scene in one of the clubs where we see bathrooms, and it's labeled they're labeled as henchmen and henchwomen. I, I definitely loved that, and we should have some of our bathrooms labeled with henchmen and henchwomen. Or if we have, you know... Uh, progressive bathrooms hench people yeah i mean i might get one of those signs for my bathroom i re- i was kind of thinking that like i would love to see that and just be like have like hench men and hench women that's a pretty neat little gag like anywhere like that that is timeless and i think that you can take that out of this movie and just put it you know in a bar and people would get a a little chuckle out of it yes okay so the question is when you walk into the the room for the hench people do you have stall doors on your bathrooms um that's a good question. I don't know if we've ever really because discussed the bathrooms before. I went to, like, a weird club in Brooklyn, and, like, you weren't allowed to have your phones, and then the bathrooms were, like, all gender, but their stalls didn't have stall doors. So they were, like, people doing drugs on the bathroom counter while I'm just, like, peeing and making eye contact with strangers. That seems really, really weird. <laughs> it was very progressive. Let me just say that. I mean, I think there's a difference between progressive and destruction of privacy. Like... There should still be doors on the stalls, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm in, like, an all-women's restroom or, like, a women's and men's restroom. Yeah. I'm, I would like stall doors. Or if not, I at least need to be drunk enough to pee in front of other people. <laughs> We're always learning something new about you, Heather, on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> the last thing i had for the restaurant and kind of i wanted for the restaurant but i also kind of just want it for myself uh in that song the dangerously song scene uh when lil is singing she is doing some choreography over a piano it's a clear piano like it's like a plexiglass or a glass piano like you can see into it that is so fucking cool (laughs) oh should i miss that all I could think about when she did that was how difficult it would be to slide in a dress that was fully sequined like that yes. across a surface. Oh, That's yeah. where my mind went. That piano is clear. It is so goddamn cool. I want one. The restaurant needs one. So I can only imagine how fucking much that must cost. But we, we're hemorrhaging money everywhere. Maybe we can sell this award that we get for a clear piano. I'll have to talk to Zach about that. <laughs> Yeah, and then next step is learning how to play the piano. I mean, I know how to press buttons on a piano. That's it. That's all you need. I could play the first Noel. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought there was going to be more to that. I, I, I wasn't sure how to respond. <laughs> it's not even the whole song. It's just Noel, Noel. And that's about all I can play. Perfect, perfect. 
All right. Well, with all that being said, we have reached the end of our Johnny Dangerously episode, our second episode of the High Impact Joke Density. Tune in next week uh, where we are going to be getting to our first and I think only Mel Brooks movie. And of course, how can you not discuss Mel Brooks when you're talking about spoofs and parodies? So, Heather, as always, thank you for being here. Thank you for bearing your crazy soul with us and the audience of the podcast. Is there anything you want to pitch? Do you want to tell people your Instagram name so they can find you? Or do you even know your Instagram name? My Instagram name is private. Uh, it's, I guess the name itself is not private. If you guys want to find me, it's Heatherly. Yes, that's an adverb. Oh! Yeah. Do you know your Instagram name is an adverb? <laughs> My name's Dangerously. Johnny Dangerously. Do you know your last name's an adverb? <laughs> <laughs> Heatherly underscore maid. Follow me and I may or may not accept it, but we'll see. Uh, okay, so I will I will put that in the show notes for anybody that's interested. They can see it and type it in. And uh, you will get to Heather to judge you if you're worthy of being followed on Instagram. But other than that, the ending music, we have to discuss what we're going to play in reverse. And I think this one's a no-brainer. We got to get that Dangerously song in there in reverse, right? Yes, I mean, it's stuck in my head, so I need it. I hope when I edit this and I listen to it in reverse that it's going to get stuck in my head that way. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I want stuck in my head. And then the whole life, I'm just going to be running through it backwards because that makes it even more dangerously. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Yes. I just looked at your um, the text you sent me with the monkey thing. Yes. I, I don't know what that is, but apparently um, 
I googled uh, what did I google? Skype monkey. Skype chat monkey. And according to uh, so someone asked, why does the dancing monkey emoji appear on my chat screen sometimes? He runs and dances across the screen. And someone said, the dancing climbing monkey visits you when you repeatedly and quickly click on a white space in the chat window. So apparently you did that? I I tried to do that on my end, and I could not get the monkey to appear, so who knows? That's really bizarre. Okay, well. (laughs) That's what they call a necessary feature. So (laughs) I would not work without that. (laughs) Of course, exactly. Exactly.